What's your what's your go to pie Thanksgiving? Pumpkin. There's no other choice. Yeah. There's other choices. What, other what, are, what is this question? No. Okay. Apple. No. Pecan. Uh, pecan's all right. Cherry. Be, pecan. The, uh, go ahead, Josh. Being in the south. Being in the south. Pecan is a is a solid choice. Uh, I personally like a derby pie. If you've ever had one of those, I've seen one. Never. Yeah. Never heard of it. Never at one. Uh, so a derby pie is like a pecan pie, but it has chocolate in it. I like well. a chocolate pie. Yeah. Uh, that sounds good. I've I only recently tried pecan pie, even though my mom made it every year um, and still does. The thing that I know we're not trying to be healthy when we're eating Thanksgiving dinner and talking about pie. But when I see the amount of corn syrup that goes into a pecan pie, mm. it scares the shit out of me. <laughs> and I, I just feel like there's better ways to get my terrible calories in me than corn syrup. Well, you could make it with molasses. <laughs> just pure molasses. Pure, baby. Jesus. It's better because it's pure. That'd be spicy. I've done my research. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm an apple pie guy. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> what kind of judgment was that? Just for fun. Wow. I mean, come on. You can't beat apple pie with a lattice. You can't lattice work a pumpkin pie. There's no topping. I was, I was gonna, no point. I was going to ask what type what type of top you got, got on there. It, it depends if my dough is good or not. If I didn't mess up the pie dough, then I'll go for a lattice. But if I'm rolling it out and it's fighting me or breaking up or anything like that, um, I'll, I'll switch it up to just one big topper piece or something. And then you patch the holes with the excess pieces of pie dough that you cut out with like little mm -hmm. autumnal leaves or whatever. And so people think that it's decoration, but it's actually band-aids. Um, and, and then do you put an egg wash on top of that to like crisp it up? You have to. Uh, yeah. Pies just kind of look sad without an egg wash. Um, you can definitely, I like, um, Either foil or those silicone ring molds for the edge of the pie sometimes help so that you don't get too much color on that ring of crust on the outside. So you can pull that off with like 15, 20 minutes to go once the pie is, and you'll get a really more controlled color. I really feel like I've gotten a glimpse inside it, it like just a taste of a, of a, of a master class just now. Because, yes. Just the little teaser that they give you, because my mind is now blown at, like, baking your pie at different stages, kind of like that. That's impressive. Oh, yeah. Once you start getting into, like, pre-baking your pie dough before you even put filling in and stuff, there's... Mm -hmm. I haven't even baked that much pie, um, you know, being... As we talked before, pie is not really a California staple. We mm -hmm. eat it, but only on occasion. So. um it's not something that I've done a ton of, but I love making it when I do. I'm always afraid of it, though. Every time I make pie dough, I'm convinced I'm going to screw it up. Every time. <laughs> and it's the, it's the simplest pie. I guess the simplest dough in the world is just flour, butter, and maybe some salt and water. Yeah, but I've but had I'm plenty of bad terrified. pies. Bad pies oh, yeah. are out there. Protect your <laughs> family there, from bad pies. This is a PSA. <laughs> Uh, you know what else you should protect your families from? Uh, religious, demonic, kind of, 
things that will haunt you and kill you and maybe suck you into a mirror. That's right. That's right. <laughs> So, okay, I've been on this uh, folk kick, folk horror kick lately. Um, I don't know if either one of you guys have gotten to see the Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched uh, documentary. It's been playing um, some festivals and stuff. And um, who is it? One of the companies is putting out a great box set with that documentary and like 20 of the films or something. And like, it's just beautiful. But I kept thinking of like the folk horror genre for both of these films, like so hardcore through both of them, like, like ancient evils that we don't understand. Um, big time, just, uh, uh, modern man going into delving into something where he thinks he has an upper hand and he really has no leg to stand on ancient evils that even the director doesn't understand. If you've heard the commentary for <laughs> Prince of Darkness, <laughs> <laughs> I have not done that it's one yet. It's funny. <laughs> Watching this movie, I definitely feel like if you ask John Carpenter questions now to try to clarify this, you'd be like, I have no idea what was going on. It just, I don't, I don't know. The, you figure it out. I tried to place when the commentary was recorded. I think somewhere around like 2001 or two. It's like an older commentary. And Carpenter is snap. He's got the, um, who's the guy that played the, the whist, the, the, the mouth trumpet guy, the, oh boy, what's his name? It's two first names. He's in, he's in, he's, he's in, in Bay Escape Live. from New York. Yeah, he's in tons of his other movies. Yeah. I forget the actor's name, but he's there with him and he keeps pestering him with, well, what does that mean exactly? And how does this work? And Carpenter's like, why are you asking me? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, Peter Jason. Peter Jason. That's it. That's it. Yes. Doc, as Dr. LaHaye. Yes. Yeah. LaHaye. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, yeah, I didn't know that actually we're okay. First of all, we're delving into the movie now. Apparently we're just diving in Prince of Darkness. Okay. Is this the thing we're doing it? Hi, everybody. Oh, Welcome yeah, to shit. Nashville, CA. This is a double feature <laughs> podcast hosted by two guys, one of which lives in Nashville and the other of which lives in CA. Today, we have a very special guest, friend of the pod, friend of the show, um, Dustin who is a, dare I say, creative force in his own oh, right. No. Oh, no. <laughs> Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Dustin? Well, there's not a lot going on here, really. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's the fallow season. <laughs> um, I, I, do, I do music. I do, I do have my own podcast. Um, not as lengthy or girthy as yours, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I mainly am into horror and retro cool stuff. I love pinball. Um, just, just the nerdy stuff, really. Like, that's just my thing. I love to get nerdy about something. And uh, uh, I don't know. I guess my main thing is I do, like, retro electronic sort of horror-inspired music. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I'm ripping off John Carpenter, but not well. You wouldn't know. Uh, it's, it's not good. But <laughs> it's there. So that's me. I, I beg to differ. Dustin has some awesome music. Uh, look up Dcraft. D K R E F F T on um, Bandcamp. And it's like badass synth metal, but with dark, fantastical elements to it. I don't know. It, it's really cool stuff. Definitely check it out. The description you gave is better than the thing. Just saying. 
<laughs> uh, and Dustin's been a big help with me as I, during quarantine, started to try finally learn Reaper and audio software and inputs and all that sort of stuff. And um, so Dustin definitely helped just with that encouragement and those beginner questions helped me get over the hill of that initial difficulty spike. My so I'm pleasure. very grateful for that. My absolute pleasure. Uh, before we jump into the rest of the movie, Dustin, you mentioned pinball. Huge fan. Okay. Do you guys in your, your local area there have a lot of, of arcades, a lot of pinballs? Uh, here in Nashville, they, there's been like a beercade resurgence yep. or I guess surge. Um, and we've got several very cool places around town that are like you pay at the door and then it's play for yep. free the whole time you're in there. Yep. Uh we do have we do have two excellent places near me. One of them, I, I dare say, is possibly it's up there with probably the best in 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 the country. Uh, it's called CP Pinball, and it's in it's near St. Louis, and they have like about eighty machines. You just pay twenty bucks, and it's free play, noon to midnight. Bring your own beer. What do you want? What else do you want? Nice, it's incredible. The machines are so well taken care of. It is the best thing you can do with your day. That's um. Almost every day when I take my daughter to school, I pass Game Terminal, um, which is just a couple years old, and it's like 18,000 square feet. It's it's massive complex, um, and the place is packed out with games. And like you said, I'm impressed with how well they take care of them, because I think the er era when I grew up was uh, there was definitely still arcades in every mall mm -hmm. but they were on the decline and nobody gave a shit about the machines or took care of oh, yeah. them that was a common very practice. good shape. you walk up to a dirty hairy machine and like the right flipper didn't work half the lights were off it's really yes. really sad oh harry why are you so dirty Ooh, harry <laughs> you so dirty <laughs> harry. uh when i lived in san francisco there was a shop called free gold watch and it was a screen printing shop that also had about 30 pinball and arcade machines and you could bring beer into there so that was a really cool spot uh i think there's one nearby me in santa rosa uh, i don't know if it's a beer place or not uh, i haven't checked it out but i was kind of of that era i missed out on the arcade era i was born in 86 and so i was raised in the generation of like the arcade crash and so they were still kind of around when i was a kid and then you just have them at movie theaters or kids mm, yeah. like casinos or play and then it, like they just kept dwindling down and getting smaller and smaller and um less and less uh, more and more rare and um so i'm really excited that they're coming back because in a huge way i mean yeah playing video games and drinking beer together with friends is like the best thing in the world there's no better night for my birthday every year we go to the pinball place and just have the best time we order pizza you guys it's the best I try to get that high score on the Doctor Who, and I, I just, I'm never going to get it. It's never going to happen. Do you have a nemesis that sits on the top of the leaderboard that you just see each well, year, and they're still up there? He's a good friend of mine, so I wouldn't say, oh. I wouldn't oh, say he's a nemesis, but if I get the chance, I will stab him in the back. <laughs> just take out his paddle finger. That's how you That's need right. to do it. That's right. Just one. Just one. Yep. Make it That's look like an accident. <laughs> All right, so do we want to go, uh, we normally go um, guests pick first, but we've already started into Prince of Darkness. Sean, call the audible here. Well, I'm just thinking Prince of Darkness, 
I think it's a good idea because Prince of Darkness is, I don't know, there's so much theory going on. It presents so many different ideas mm-hmm. that then we can go on to kind of single it down and narrow it down a little bit with the Borderlands and focus a little bit more specifically. So, um, yeah, Dustin, why don't you start us by telling us why you chose John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness as a movie you wanted to watch? Well, I, I think when we picked it, we had already sort of decided like Borderlands, a.k.a. Final Prayer, had to happen because we both, lo- we both love that movie. That's true. You're the only other person who's ever seen the Borderlands before. And so I was so excited to talk to you about it months ago. Yeah. And uh, I've been showing it to my friends recently and now doing it on this podcast. So hopefully um, causing a huge resurgence of its yeah, sales. Let's bring it back, baby. <laughs> uh, but no, Prince of Darkness is a favorite. I, of course, uh, worship at the altar of Carpenter. Uh, he's just the best. And uh, that that movie is one of my favorites. Anything, I mean, you get Carpenter and Donald Pleasance together. What more do you want? I mean, that that's all you need. But this movie has way more than that. So, uh, yeah, I love the subject matter. I love the bonkers nature of even the director doesn't really know what's happening in this film. There's a lot going on with Prince of Darkness. And uh, it's I had to pick it. I had to pick it. I love that there's so many returning cast members from other Carpenter movies. You got your Loomis. You got a bunch of um, big travelers mm-hmm. in there. Um, it, it, it feels nostalgic in that way to see all these different Carpenter people come together in this movie and um, do something that's so different and weird. Uh, I, I, did, I saw this movie first when probably 13 years ago when I was like 22 and still early in my infancy of horror movies and I was into Carpenter and I watched it and I remember just not getting much from it and being a bit underwhelmed and thinking like some parts were cheesy and um, just not just not quite appreciating it this time watching it in the dark with the music and the way that the, the music is masterful in this movie my god the soundtrack that John did for this is incredible and Howarth too I I was so sucked into it this time and what it was presenting. And I think a lot of the ideas are so highbrow concept that they were over my head the first time I watched it. But this time paying such close attention, I really took a lot more out of it and really um, appreciated a lot more this time. So uh, we are going... Prince of Darkness from 1987 came out October 23rd of 87, like right in time for Halloween. Can you imagine stepping into the theater Halloween week to get to see this? If only. That'd be cool. If It'd only. be a weird experience. A lot of disappointed yeah. people, I'm sure. Uh, it was made for $3 million, made back $14.1 million, So it was still pretty successful. Um, this is, I didn't, really understand this term until recently uh, about Carpenter calls this part of his apocalypse trilogy, starting with the thing. uh, And then it goes to Prince of darkness and concludes within the mouth of madness, uh, which I've recently kind of come back around on after revisiting. Um, That movie is also fantastic. Uh, And as bonkers or almost as bonkers as this one, the score doesn't quite uh, get me like this one does though, but I think all three are fantastic movies. In the Mouth of Madness is awesome. Sam Neill is great. 
And there's always stuff that I forget about that movie. And then when I rewatch it, I'm like, oh my God, how could I have forgotten that <laughs> crazy thing happens? Like, holy shit. And that movie again and again is just kind of mind-blowingly weird. By the way, do you read Sutter Kane? Do you read Sutter Kane? <laughs> read Sutter Kane. Uh, by the way, the... we are definitely doing some Donald Pleasance voices later on. <laughs> so I just want you to be mentally prepared for that. I think he does say the words pure evil in this film one time. Pure evil. Pure evil. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I like that one. Josh isn't playing the game. Do it. No, I'm say the words pure totally evil. not. No, I'm pure evil. Oh. <laughs> Whoa. I'm like Vincent Price or something. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's pure evil. That's not a bad Vincent Price. It's a, but it's a horrible Donald Pleasance <laughs> yeah. is what we've learned. <laughs> so uh, Carpenter wrote this film himself under the name of Martin Quatermass, which is a reference to Quatermass and the Pit and the Quatermass stories. Um, Dustin, you're shaking your head. Are you, do you know of these movies, these stories, yes. and Nigel Neal, the original author of them? Yes, a little bit. They're considered classics by a lot of people, but they're mainly forgotten today. Most people, mm -hmm. even horror fans, if you mention them, probably wouldn't know, probably wouldn't have any idea what those are. Uh, I, I just want to point out in the commentary that they they reference that other author in quotes and uh, uh, Carpenter's like, yeah, he, I think he's an alcoholic. I, I don't I don't hear from him anymore. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with him. I'm not sure if he's still working. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. So the uh, the Quatermass movies, they're kind of like supernatural um, Indiana Jones type exactly. uh, adventure horror. And they were written, like I said, by Nigel Neal, who uh, is known for these kinds of things and for doing, um, I believe he did a bunch of uh, Hammer films. Uh, he did the Stone Tape in the early 70s, uh, which is like known as one of the incredibly influential British horror uh, pieces that like freaked out people like Edgar Wright, who would go on to, to, you know, great acclaim later. Um, so this movie already from the very beginning has this grounding in sort of that, that folk uh, type field that he, that he played around in. And uh, this movie starts off with the score, like the score is just smacking you in the face immediately at a at a gallop from the jump. And I love it so much. I think the the intro is so good and it goes on for like 15 minutes. You keep yes. getting a little a little scene and then, oh, here's there's more credits and then another scene and then more credits. You think the credits are over more credits and, and you have that repeating synth bass line that sort of defines a big part of like when I think of this movie, I think of that that synth bass, that that kind of defines the score in a lot of ways, and uh, it's such a good intro. The whole the whole first like thirty minutes, the, all the setup is so good, it's so compelling to me. It just moves, it moves, it moves. The mo the plot of this movie is like a straight line. It just goes straight. I mean, it, it is. I love the way it's constructed, and uh, the the whole intro alone is is so compelling to me. You get all these shots of the religious things going on and the guy dying with the box and you're like, whoa, what's going on? And it's it's it just sucks you in immediately. And that soundtrack is just the driving force behind all of it and it just stitches it all together so well. 
it's, it couldn't be better. This reminds me of the intro to They Live, which is like a musical introduction, almost like an overture, where the first thing we're going to set is the tone of the sound. And then once the audience gets into that mindset, then we'll start introducing all the visual elements of this thing. But first things first, let's let's establish that we're synthy with this. I think it's a it's a carpenter staple. I think that's just kind of I mean, Escape from New York is the same way. It just sort of is his thing, and it works for me every time. Yeah, it's, it it never doesn't work. Well, it might not in the ward, but who's seen the ward? Nobody. I did when it was new. Did you? Yep. Yep. That's like one of the few carpenters I haven't seen. The uh. I actually caught my last carpenter at, I believe it was our marathon last year. Somebody programmed the short Captain Voyeur, uh, which was like Carpenter's first little short film that he did. Uh, and it's really stupid and it doesn't need to be watched <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I watched, I tried to watch Dark Star recently because of um, Blank Check podcast covering Car uh, Carpenter right now. Mm hmm. I couldn't get through it, man. <laughs> I don't know. It was just too, too low budget, too seventies. Um, I I don't know if it was a comedy or what. The last twenty minutes seemed pretty cool, but overall, it was just. It felt like um, a mystery science theater movie, and for me, I had I just have a really hard time watching those for some reason. I think I always get unsettled watching stuff like that. And mm -hmm. like watching old mystery science episodes as a kid, sometimes the movies they would show would just kind of be unsettling enough to creep me out where mm -hmm. I wasn't enjoying it. I just felt icky and weird. I don't yeah. know. I think yes. Dustin is a mystery guy, right? Huge mystery science theater fan. Um, I was an only child and those those guys were my friends on a Saturday morning every every week. It was the best. We all had these inside jokes together. It was so sweet. I love them. <laughs> I have the bots in my home. I History, Science Theater, and Rift Tracks, uh, forever. Love them. Uh, did you happen to contribute to the, the latest revitalization Indeed, campaign? Yes, I got the email last night. Writing is complete. Yes, I did yes. too. <laughs> I was yes. so happy. <laughs> I'm glad someone else shares my love for, for that L like legacy property at this point that is going on. Um, I got to see it live a couple years ago. Uh, when they came through Nashville and it was a great dorky show with puppets yeah. and a horrible movie. It was so much fun. Amazing. What was the movie? I don't remember. <laughs> I literally That's don't. how good it was. That was, that was the year of many shows that I went to though. So, so many things have gotten lost to the sands. Do you have time. a favorite mystery science theater? Ooh, uh, it might be Mitchell <laughs> just because Joe it's Don so Baker. easy to go back to. Yes. <laughs> And and the movie itself is pretty good. It's fine. It is. Like, yes, you can watch Mitchell on its own and it totally plays. Um, I do like a lot from the from the last two seasons, the Netflix seasons as well. There were a couple I did I, really like, yeah. Yeah, there were some solid episodes, some really good goofs in there that I like. Yeah. I think one of my all-time favorites is Skydivers. It's a black and white okay. movie about skydivers, people going <laughs> And and there's some drama and some jealousy with a wife and people making coffee a lot. Uh, uh -huh. An amazing line that still gets quoted in my house to this day. What if someone put acid in a parachute? <laughs> what do you think would happen? <laughs> and the other the other beautiful line. I like coffee. 
<laughs> I, I'm trying to figure out if they're that's psychedelic acid, and they're like, "What if the parachute oh, no. was tripping, man?" You've already you've already stepped <laughs> way beyond what they were going for. <laughs> you know who else is going to step off into the great beyond? This old man who starts the movie. We start the movie with a man lying on a bed. He has a tiny, adorable little treasure chest that he's holding on to, and um, we find out that this man is Father Carlton. And Father Carlton died waiting for an appointment with our main man, Donald Pleasance. And Donald Pleasance's character's name is Priest, I guess. He doesn't have a name. Yeah, they I think... never say his name. Oh. I had the hardest time doing notes for this, first of all, because I got halfway through my sentence um, talking about the old man dying, and then Donald Pleasance is introduced. I got halfway through the sentence, and it literally just turned into, holy shit, Donald Pleasance is a priest. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> I was really excited, especially to see this era Pleasance. This plants him, like, right in that Dr. Loomis vibe, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the, this intro, Dustin, you talked about it. It's 15 minutes long, approximately. We meet all of our characters, for the most part, but we don't actually know any of their names. They're all just like archetypes, basically. We have the professor. We have the students. Uh, also, are grad students the same age as, as me? It's it. Because <laughs> that's off Apparently so. a little bit. It's, it was so weird to see, um, like, Dirk Blocker in his 30s, approximately, yeah. uh, as a, a grad student in this. Is he mustache? No, I have little come pet on. Names. I have little pet names for all of these uh, students as we go through them. But mustache right off the bat is our first one we see, I think, or the second one. Yes, mustache is Brian Marsh. Apparently, um, I also just called them by their position, um, like theology student mustache uh, redhead, <laughs> because they get names, but it's so quick. Uh, then I don't really feel like they matter. They're just here to move this this goopy story forward. If a movie doesn't say a character's name at least three times, I'm not going to mm -hmm. pick up on it. We see all these quick shots. We get the, the college students, the grad students. We see the old priest who passed away. We see his diary, and we see the line, the sleeper awakens, which, hey, come on, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's so cool. If you see a journal and it's open to a page that at the top says the Brotherhood of Sleep, you read uh -huh. that, that page. That rules. <laughs> that does rule. <laughs> um, there are so many connections between these two movies as well. I mean, just from the general setup, but like the diary uh, to the point that a main character in both of them does card tricks when he has downtime like practices disappearing a card on his own. I didn't think of that. You're it's, totally right. My mind is a little bit blown right now. It's so weird. Uh, also, I was wondering if this church that we get to, because we have the church that uh, Father Donald Pleasance runs, and then we have the church that all the action happens at, which is um, sort of built in levels. We find out that the catacombs underneath are from the 1500s, I believe. Um, and then the church itself is much more modern on top, um, but it's called St. Godard's. And I tried to do some research to see if there was, is that a Jean-Luc Godard reference or is it an actual saint reference? 
So uh, I and I really didn't come up with anything. Uh, there is a Saint Godard, but it's more commonly known known as something else. So it seems kind of weird. Well, you really left us waiting for Godard. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's, I gotta go. that's I gotta go. You didn't give us an answer, and that play doesn't have answers either. Ah, oh, I do love that play though so much, <laughs> so much. Um, <laughs> we get more scenes at the college with. Uh, swarms of ants on the ground, which is a recurring theme. Um, Father Donald Pleasance, which is how I think of him all the time, uh, opens the little silver box and pulls out a little silver key that the uh, former priest was hiding. It's your your classic key-shaped key, too, which I really appreciate. And if I ever got to actually use a key like that, I think I would love it. I have these damn modern keys. Give me an old clanky jailer's gigantic dungeon key, please. You know, like what if a Mercedes came out and just to go <laughs> against the grain of all these other cars with these stupid keyless entries, you just had this like eight inch dungeon cast iron key Your that you have to skeleton key. <laughs> my old, my first house that I ever bought, uh, the bathroom, a couple of the other rooms had skeleton key and you could lock uh-huh. them that way. And we just left it above the door. And if you needed it, there it was. It was kind of cool, though. It was like something there was something nice about that. And now the next people have that. You know what I mean? It's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I was trying to think because when he pulled out this key, I was like, where else have I seen an old fashioned key like this recently? Uh, And it was the last episode that I watched of Ted Lasso. (laughs) Uh, That's the key to Beard's apartment is one of those old fashioned kind of keys. Uh, which plays into the plot. And I was like, what a weird connection for my brain to, <laughs> to be <Yeah>. making. <laughs> Good point. Um, I have something here. Oh, what do you have? Okay. Uh, so after this, we get the professor, which I think of this guy as the grandpa from Three Ninjas. <laughs> oh, okay. <Yep. laughs> so, but I, I call him from the professor here on out. He's entering the school. We see him checking the moon, and it looks like the moon is on its way to a solar eclipse, lunar eclipse. One, one, or, okay. one, one thing's going to eclipse the other. Yes, I was going to ask you guys. First of all, Sean, I'm surprised that this guy is not known as uh, Walter from Tremors in your, in your mind. Oh, yeah, he's in that, too. Just, he runs the shop. Three Ninjas was a movie that, as a kid, my friends just had, like, a six-month period where we watched that movie a ton. Uh, we'd same. run around and like, you're Colt, you're Rocky, Joe's Tum-Tum. And we'd always <laughs> laugh that our friend Joe is Tum-Tum, which would, I'm sure, cause some emotional scars. Did you punch a, Did you punch a robot in the crotch and light up its eyes? Yeah. Isn't that what happens? I spiked, That's all I, I can spiked, I spiked somebody's Coca-Cola with X-Lax. Yeah. yeah. My friends were always like, we should do that. We should do that. That movie was so just like, hey, people really like these movies where kids set booby traps inside of houses. Yep. So what if we did that, but their grandpa's a ninja? <laughs> Sold. Um, so this guy is the professor, the grandpa. He walks into his classroom. He's lecturing about what we believe. And we believe that our flesh is true. We believe that time is constant, that time is straight but none of it's true. On a subatomic level, we go to ghosts and shadows, he says. 
And so what a great line. He's teaching um, like really advanced theoretical physics. Later on, we'll hear a student say that he's not looking for scientists. He's looking for philosophers. And so, you know, that's his approach. He has a very like theological approach to physics. Which leads to all kinds of uh, cool discussions between him uh, and Donald Pleasance. And it immediately sets up like the we've got like a science versus religion, um, empirical evidence versus belief debate, because for as much as he wants a philosopher, uh, a lot of his students seem to rely on actual evidence. And that's kind of how they approach the church that they're going to, um, which like I said is St. Godard's. And uh, we see, I guess we could talk about the, the canister in the catacombs. It's beautiful. I love this canister. It's so smoothie. cool. <laughs> I said, well, I was watching it with my wife and I'm like, I made some, you know, I did a little mystery science theater thing and I was like, they have a slushy machine. You know. <laughs> <laughs> it's green apple. It looks like, it reminded me of uh, The Secret of the Ooze. That's what I kept thinking of it as. The sweetest flavor. The devil's flavor. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, I'm done. I'm done even trying to do pleasants today because you're blowing me out of the water and I'm getting embarrassed now. No. <laughs> There's uh, not, nothing prettier to look at in this movie. I, I could just watch it all day. Like, why didn't they sell mm -hmm. one to me? I would buy one. I would put it in my room. Lava lamp, get out of here. Give me one of these. Yeah, it's like this giant swirling. It reminds me of like really fancy uh, shampoos from the nineties. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's I. I want to sniff it. I want to. I want to like taste and see what that tastes mm -hmm. like. Oh, don't do that, Josh. Oh, I'm so drawn into it. Um, you'd I remember be the, you'd be like the first victim in this movie, wouldn't you? <laughs> I told you, I'd be there with my mouth open, <laughs> squirt it into. Give me, me that devil goop. <laughs> So uh, we get back with Donald Pleasance and he's writing a letter that says he thinks he's discovered a phenomena and it's most urgent. We find out that he's writing this letter to the professor. Um, I like, oh, go ahead. They're like just across town from each other or something. And he's writing a letter and someone else delivers it. And then they meet up. It's like most of this opening, you just have to go with it. Like it's total uh, shortcut logic. It's not even like, dream logic because it's not lynchian it's not like surreal it's just like you meet all these characters and everything just kind of happens and it really feels like you get on at the beginning of a of a giant water slide to yeah. me yeah because you're just on this ride it's and it's just a blast the intro to this movie wouldn't happen if donald pleasance knew how to use a phone <laughs> exactly. it wouldn't have been the same at all uh a character is watching tv i don't recall which one but the TV says that a supernova has been discovered in Precambrian pre light. There's another Tremors word that exists mm -hmm. from before the time of man is just now reaching the Earth. And this is kind of a thing that you could definitely miss in passing. This is really pivotal to this movie. Is the the whole idea of like the eclipse and the timing of this is all seemingly based on this cosmic event. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe that was a uh, mustache student. Uh, well, uh, you're right. It was mustache because mustache went home alone because mustache has a thing for curly hair, but curly hair at this point is not into him. 
Right. She seems to be with somebody else momentarily, but we find out later that apparently she's not. Oh, and there's ants again all over Mustache's TV. And Mm -hmm. they look like scary red ants that you don't want to have in your house. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, yeah. The next bit, we get into some real Indiana Jones shit, because, as (laughs) Donald Pleasance explains, the old man was the guardian priest of the swirling smoothie, and he would leave once a week for food. And every day he opened this door and went down into the catacombs. As all, all I was picturing was, You have chosen poorly. <laughs> the, once again, this dude is the last uh, remaining member of the Brotherhood of Sleep. He's supposed to pass the key on to the next person and tell them to keep this gigantic canister of goop under control, basically. Um, and uh, Donald Pleasance and the professor, I believe at this point, go into the maze of catacombs and who lit all of these candles? They're lit when they go down there and they make the yes. poor professor and Donald Pleasance go up and down those steps so many times. And I'm like, somebody <laughs> kept put a chairlift in there. Help these guys out. They don't need this. They're old men. Yes, I felt really bad for the actors. You know what keeps those candles lit? Pure evil. Uh, yes. The it's getting design. worse. It's getting worse as we're going along. <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> the design of this uh, chamber that the canister sets in, it's like um, there's crosses all over the walls. There's candles everywhere. Um, like more candles than in the movie The Crow, which has a lot of candles. <laughs> a few. Whoa, that's a lot of candles. <laughs> that's a lot. The Crow scale. Yes. Uh, and they also find this old book uh, that's been written in in several languages over the years, and like passages have been looks like they've tried to erase or write over them at different times. Uh, so that's going to be one of the. Um, the key artifacts going forward. I thought this was um, John Carpenter's screenplay taking a little shot at the Bible where Pleasance goes, it's been written over and, and repaired so many times that you can't tell what's a correction and what's the original text. Mm-hmm. And he kind of gets to that. He pokes that bear a few times in here, basically, mm-hmm. of like the religion that we know is a false religion, and the church has hidden this real religion, which is only in this book, only in this town. Well, yeah, they make a point in... to say even the Vatican does not know about this. Yes. Which is wild. And by, by the way, that chamber, I just wanted to talk about very quickly the production design of that chamber. Yeah. Gorgeous. Incredible. Uh, yeah. It's the lighting, the, the just, it's, it's amazing. I just want to be in that room. I just want to be in that room and look at it. This whole movie. Um, I am just fascinated by, first of all, all the religious artifacts that are lying around, all those candles, the giant canister, uh, and then when once the students all move in, all of the scientific equipment. Yep. It looks so cool. I don't know what any of it does, but it looks awesome. Yeah, I found myself just staring at those things going, well, what is that? It must be something. But like, I, <laughs> I bet it's some dumb you know, medical equipment from the 60s we don't use anymore, but because no one knows what it is, it's like, oh, that's some <laughs> fancy thing. Uh, we finally actually meet the professor's class, who they all somehow know each other, but are also kind of meeting for the first time. 
I didn't understand because Mustache and Curly Redhead don't know each other, uh, but everyone else does. It's very strange. Mustache had just transferred from somewhere else. Oh, thank like, you. Oh, I thought I thought this was California. Why do I need a jacket? Okay. Yeah, mustache. It's ninety-five Come degrees on. here in late September, idiot. <laughs> I thought you were supposed to be smart. <laughs> okay. Can we talk about mustache's mustache? Because it's not fitting for his face. I have a theory. For his hair. He has a Sam Elliott thickness of mustache on like a blonde surfer dude look. And it's it's such like a dichotomy. It, it doesn't work <laughs> at all. It's I, I'm so distracted when this man is on screen. I have a theory. The carpenter said, "Hey, you you like my mustache? What do you think? You think you could do this? What do you think? I'd like to see my mustache on screen. I think it'd look good on you. Why don't you try it? Oh yeah, looks great. Looks great. Looks great. And carpenter's trying to feel better about himself, bringing his own mustache style into the you know into the consciousness." <laughs> And so he's just trying to push this mustache agenda uh, to make him feel better about himself because he doesn't, for some reason, want to shave it. Yeah. I, I believe it. A hundred percent. I believe it. Um, so did either one of you guys ever catch episodes of the show Simon and Simon? I haven't. But I know, okay. I know that he's in that show. Yes. This is what I knew him from when I first saw this movie. Um, and his co-star was Gerald McCraney. Uh, and I just remember... My dad's band used to play the theme song, I believe, as their um, going for a cigarette break song. That's amazing. Like, yes, it was right at the end of the, the first set. They would play it, and it was kind of the, the musical outro for that set. Uh, and I just have fond memories of that show because of that, basically. I really like that. That's really nice. And it's a cool little song, too, if you ever look it up on one of those uh, compilations they have nowadays. Now that's what I call music, 53. There we go. <laughs> we must be in the hundreds now, right? I don't know. Is that still a thing? I remember when the first one came out. I had now three, I believe. I had a few jock jams. And I had Totally Hits. That had the Sugar Ray on it. Ooh. <laughs> jock jams, just pop it up. Oh, yeah. Jam. Just me as a kid listening to sports music. I don't... Well, in the 90s, like, basketball was the thing. Because of the because of Michael Jordan and the Bulls, right? So yes. it's like there and Space Jam later. It was just like I feel like the '90s were just basketball fever, and now I I think I know what basketball is. Yeah, I definitely I had a life size. I, I assume it was life size. Uh, Michael Jordan cutout and the black ball. Yes, yes, same. Yeah. My uh, family, we would move it around the house and freak each other out. Like, put it in front of a window. But really, it's a <laughs> nice surprise. Home. Like, at first, you might be startled. Yes. You're like, oh, it's just Michael Jordan. It's totally fine. Wait, did you steal that from Chris Columbus? Because that's what Macaulay Culkin does. He uses Michael Jordan cutout to get the sticky bandits away from the house in the first oh, night. Oh, yes. The, um, I'm, the sticky bandits or the I wet bandits? I believe they're the wet bandits. Oh, my God. Oh. The shame. But I think the, <laughs> the uh, shame that washes over me right now is unbearable. Oh the, my god! The zombies in this film could be the Sticky Bandits. We can call them that. Yes. Uh, just for reference, I, I, I feel we, like you're using the word zombie there in like a voodoo sense. Yeah, kinda. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Carpenter doesn't know. Why do I need to know? It doesn't matter. <laughs> None of this matters. Fair point. 
Uh, just for reference, we are up to now. That's what I call music, volume seventy nine. <laughs> hey. Um, so. You know what else doesn't matter? Schrodinger, Schrodinger's cat, Schrodinger's. Um, I've never understood it. I refuse to try to understand it. I think it's dumb and stuff like that <laughs> is why I think philosophy gets a bad rap but, because people sit around talking in circles about stuff like this. Isn't that like a basic thing though, like philosophy wise? And that student doesn't understand it. Like, shouldn't he yes. know? Why is he even there it, through the whole movie? It, he's like, can we just go? I got a date. What are we doing? Right. You're oh, in the wrong boy. place, okay. buddy. That guy is called Big Trouble. Of course. Uh, and Big Trouble is such a dickhead in this movie. <laughs> Big Trouble is, like, racist. Big Trouble's a womanizer. Big Trouble is a real bummer, which I didn't like because in, um, in Big Trouble, he's so fun and likable. He's lovable in that but, movie, yeah. But he, he kind of plays a 180 uh, kind of dickhead in this one. I do like how, as um, one of the two Asian members of the cast, the only people he's racist against are Asians, yes. apparently. Yeah. I was confused by that. Legitimately confused by that. I didn't get it. Yeah, he's just, he's kind of a shitty dude. Yeah. He thought making racist Asian jokes would somehow endear him to her because he's also Asian. Asian. I, I guess. So like, yeah. Yeah, I, I, ha ha, get it? This doesn't make or any sense. Yeah. I don't know. It's like. <laughs> that's a bad move yep uh so the professor tells all the students to expect to spend the whole weekend at the church they're going to take their meals there they're going to sleep there um nobody really knows what they're doing when the professor goes in there's we see the first of the uh unhoused people who are led by alice cooper throughout the film um same note and we, that's definitely alice cooper yes 100 oh yeah um, and we see this lady who looks like she's bowing towards the sun repeatedly and has ants crawling up her face. Um, and it's just so it's creepy. a memorable image for me. That's one of the ones yeah. I think of. Yeah. Um, mustache and the redhead meet up after class and decide to spend the night together. Mm. Uh, Carpenter spares and- us their date. Thank God. Like, yes. bless him for understanding movie economy. And just like, just show them waking up together. Who gives a shit? The audience can <laughs> yep. fill in the rest. And it's great. I love when this dude wakes up and steps out onto the front porch. He's like, just so fucking happy. I cheered. He is. <laughs> I cheered when that happened. And I think my wife, I could hear my wife's eyes rolling. Uh, at this point, they say it's like pillow talk. But I, yes. he says something and he says, how did you know what I was going to say? And she says, because if you don't, I don't want to know. Basically, it's like she doesn't want to ask a question that she doesn't want the answer to. Because when you're early on dating someone, there's yes. a lot of minefields where it's like you can live in that beautiful, happy place where you're just like two bunnies making out all the time. But God forbid you start to approach some of those more like big life topics. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. That's when the red flags start to pop up. And that's she both does and doesn't want him to say that he wants to get serious with her, basically. Uh, which comes up to play later at the most inopportune time. <laughs> I thought of you, Sean, uh, later when they have a little bit of relationship discussion in the middle of being attacked by possessed people. <laughs> I'm like, this is wrong time and place, folks. 
Justin, or excuse me, Justin, Dustin, I know you're a big fan of Crawl, right? Yeah. So I thought it was really fun, except for the fact that a daughter and father are arguing over track and field as they're trapped in a house with alligators attacking them from all sides. (laughs) And they're still arguing about like his support of her track and field career in college. That was like the one thing where it's like, Aja, I love your movies mostly. But please do don't do this to me. Yep, yep. No, that movie rules though. If people haven't seen Crawl, come on. It is. I I, I should it's not. So much fun. I should not sound as disparaging because it is a really fun creature feature with some awesome effects. And I, as a kid, after seeing Saving Private Ryan, I thought Barry Pepper was like the best actor, and mm-hmm. I wanted Barry Pepper to like succeed. I saw knockaround guys. Nobody saw knockaround guys, but I did because I was there for my buddy Barry. <laughs> Good old Barry Pepper. Uh, but the... that he never recovered from Battlefield Earth. Hmm. Oh, Travolta did. Was that Barry, what did it? Pe- Barry Pepper did not. I don't think the 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 world has recovered from Battlefield Earth. <laughs> uh, the priest tells the professor that quote he lives in your doubt um basically they're having a conversation about the fact that the professor is constantly questioning belief while the priest just has faith um and it's kind of a don't look too much into the shadows type situation lest you and it it pairs nicely with the conversation that the two lovers were just having about not questioning the things you don't really want to find out about the a uh, small platoon of homeless people, which are led by Alice Cooper, trudge towards the church, uh, seemingly led by the sight of the sun and the moon and the sky together. Um, it seems to be um, pulling them to this church parking lot, which the even the outside setting, like it looks like it's on the edge of a rundown area, but there's hardly anybody around besides these unhoused people. And we only see one uh, truck pass the church ever it's so it creepy. seems to be in the middle of nowhere i mean yeah i mean truly it seems to be just desolation around that area and it really adds to the whole overall vibe of this whole thing in my opinion it's i love that just that concept of like yeah it's in town but no one's around it's sort of like what it's eerie you know, yeah it's, this, <sighs> sorry this connects with assault on precinct 13 and the thing yes in that way of like Carpenter loves an outpost where you get a bunch of people stranded inside with an external threat. Yep. That's a, it, Precinct 13 is exactly what I thought of uh, because it gives me the same vibes as like, we're next to civilization, but we're so far away from mm-hmm. it. Um, the students pull up and they have, there's 13 people there in all, which I wondered if that in and of itself is a reference um, because it's the spooky number or just happenstance. Uh, but they unload all kinds of scientific equipment, like truckloads. There's two U-Haul trucks in the back that they're unloading. Yeah, I love and, it. It's not just electronics. There's beakers. There's like yes. microphones. There's every different field of science and scientific analysis is represented in one way or another here. Yeah, there's a microbiologist, a theologist, theoretical physics students, quantum mechanics people, like all kinds of the best brains that they could get together uh, to study this weird ass canister in the basement. 
Yeah. The two guys are talking as they're setting up some equipment. And this one guy, who's a really awkward actor, is like, oh, Susan's married. And the other guy goes, how married? How married? Yeah. Very. <laughs> Very. <laughs> Very. And then he goes, oh, science marches on. And this guy, every line he has is real goofy. This is... um. I don't really have a pet name for this guy, unfortunately. He's a bro, science um, bro. So yeah, we have uh, science bro is good. I like that. I thought of him as mullet. Yeah, yeah, uh, mullet's good. The I love. There's a few physical bits of of business that some of the actors do in this movie. Um, when he says that she's married, he holds his fingers up like in the sign of the cross, and then when he says very, he like locks them together. Yeah, that was a weird little thing he did. Yeah, and. Um, we get Mustache playing with the, the playing cards, and then um, Dr. Leahy, LaHaye. I think Leahy. it's Leahy. I want to say Leahy. Thank you. Wait, who's Dr. Leahy? That's Peter Jason. Oh, the, the mouth, mouth, trumpet, mouth trumpet. Mouth trumpet. Yeah. Mouth trumpet, mouth trumpet yes. is my name for him. He can uh, carry also, so many he things can also in call his hands. Cabby. can call him Cabby from Escape from New York also. Those are the yes. two names I'll accept. Uh, so Mouth Trumpet... Um, does this bit where he flips an apple. It's And I don't know if you guys do this. In the produce department, I do the same thing. Like, you pop the apple off the inside of your yeah. elbow and then catch it on the back of your hand. Um, it's When people say that grocery stores are a good place to meet people, is it? am I not meeting people at the grocery store because I'm not popping apples off my elbow? That's what it is. You need, yeah. you need to pop some apples. Why pop didn't anyone tell me? I've been going to grocery stores as a bachelor for like 15 years. And I've never popped a single apple. Pop those apples, bro. You can <sighs> pop an apple. You can pop an orange. And then do you do like the Fonzie where you shine the apple on your lapel? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like you got to cock one eyebrow at people nearby and kind of give, the, give them the look. Yeah. You have All to. Right. That's the only way it works. That's why you haven't had any success. I'm just going to go spend <laughs> an hour and a half in the produce section later today. <laughs> Well, this pervert keeps touching our apples. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a black hair lady. Is she the green eyed Asian lady from um, Big Trouble in Little China? Um, I, you know what I'm saying? I don't think so. I can look I it up. I was just wondering because there's so many, there's so much crossing between the actors. But anyways, she's um, she's a linguist. And so she's translating the book, but she says the words are easy, but the numbers are tricky. Yeah, I like how uh, this book has been presented as this mysterious object. And as soon as she sits down, she's just like typing away, translating the book immediately. Um, you see the progress the she's made and it's like nothing. And you see how much it might be a little bit later, but you see how much yeah. she still has to go. And I just felt like the overwhelming stress of like having to do a job like that. <laughs> I, it stressed me out to see that. Didn't like it. Didn't like it at all. And also, yeah, later when everybody's tired. Oh, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, and then yep. um, they offer her a beer, and she has this face like, "Are you kidding?" Like she has this amazing shocked face. Like, I don't know. Did you guys catch that? It's a very weird reaction. Yeah. Um, I just real quick though, Sean. I think I just want to point out that uh, Cabby in Escape from New York is Ernest Borgnine, not uh, not Peter Jason. I don't want you to look like a fool. Well. I probably would have gotten away with it, but now that you no. pointed it out, I no, definitely look big, like a fool. It's too big of a it's too big of a thing, and I've been thinking about it this whole time, and I keep going, should I say something? Because that's yeah, Ernest Borgnine. Definitely, 
Yeah, because you I'll, should always say something. I'll never okay. correct a guest, but I hope no. The please guests correct me. Please correct me. Yes, because I'm wrong a Dustin, lot every time. Dustin, you no, you are infallible, my friend. You're the moderator. Thumbs down. <laughs> F mods. <laughs> um, the lady who had the ants on her face outside uh, tells Donald Pleasance that it's wonderful that he's opening the church, but her voice is all modulated and weird, and he looks in her cup. And it's full of, ew, gross meat and worms. The voice modulation thing was so subtle. I thought it was a great effect. Truly. I, I yes. was really like, that really is good. chilling. Yes. Really? Just so, close enough to be in that like uncanny valley that's extra unsettling. Have you seen um, Stir of Echoes? Yes. A long time ago. There's a voice modulation in that movie that might be the best. Other than like, you know, The Exorcist or something. But. That 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 gets me sometimes. Like that that really works for me in this movie, especially. There was only a couple scares that like I even felt anything in this movie. It's, I wouldn't call this a really scary movie, um, but there was one other one that got me. It legitimately made me go whoa. So the uh, it seems like they're layering two vocal tracks on top of each other, like slightly out of sync or something. Um, and. The Exorcist is one place where they did it. There's an X-Files, at least an X-Files episode, yes. where, where they use the same trick. And you're right. Like, for me, it's one of those, when they match it up so well with the actual mouth movements, and it's like, how is this person making more than one sound at a time? Yeah. I don't like it's, it. It's, it's uncanny. I, my guess is probably that they used the same vocal take, slowed it down, and then matched it up. That's uh -huh. just my guess. I don't know. But but that's why it works so well. It's, it's the real voice, but not right. That's what that's yes. what's so cool about it. So that I think is like a low tech uh, trick that they use. The other effective one is coming up where uh, the there's worms crawling up the windows, like just a mass of worms rolling up the side of the building. Yeah. And it's so weird and off putting to but me. But when you see it in silhouette later and there are more. I for, I uh -huh. had forgotten for some reason about the worms and I'm like is there did did the did the did the homeless people throw spaghetti on the windows? <laughs> <laughs> and then I remember. Uh, also, there's worms in both of these movies. Yeah, I was going to say there's evil is worms apparently. Yeah. Yep. Um the woman translating the book is it's a story about God locking the devil away. Um Meanwhile, one of the students has x-rayed the canister and found out that it only opens from the inside. I love that they put these two pieces of information right next to each other. <laughs> um, this is one of my favorite little science-y bits from this movie. Uh, she says, as she's translating Latin, that she's translated differential equations from Latin. Yet, we hadn't invented the mathematics to do differential equations when people were speaking Latin yet. <laughs> That was right. that was awesome. That was one of those moments where, like, oh damn, movie, I'm with you. Uh, um, yeah. After this, we get mouth trumpet, which is this is some prime time A plus mouth trumpeting here. And I have some inf inside information on that as well. It sounds like it's ADR, but it is not. That was, that's amazing. That was not ADR at all. I you were close to breaking my heart right there. I'm no. so happy. No, it's real. That's. I used to think that I had a decent mouth trumpet sound. And then when we were working on the reenactment, um, uh, Jack, who uh, edited the film um, and and helped out in a lot of ways, script supervisor and stuff. 
uh, so I was like shoulder to shoulder with him all the time. I'd start mouth trumpeting and then he would always one up me. <laughs> and he sounds just like a damn James Bond theme, <laughs> like just coming out of his mouth. It is so good. And I was always like, shit, I got one up, man. <laughs> That's amazing. It's and it was just kind of one of those things that would always make me happy on set to hear like a kind of a thing come that's, from around the corner. It's pretty good. That's pretty good. I was gonna say, thank you. Pretty good. Thank you. That's all that time in band did something. Uh, I can't do it. <laughs> oh no, that's not. How you do it. <laughs> it's like you stepped on a dog. Oh, Sean doesn't like sad dogs. Oh, moving on. Uh, (laughs) I did not understand this next part where uh, Big Trouble was talking to the ladies again, and he's trying to hit on them. And he makes a joke that he used to break out in hives a lot, and the doctor said it was because of homosexual panic. I didn't... What? So, there's a theory that um, he is a closeted gay man. Uh, especially because of what happens later when he literally gets locked in a closet and attacked by two women oh. and escapes out the other the side. Symbolism. Interesting. Yes. Okay. That didn't occur to me. No, me neither. I, I don't know if Probably Carpenter didn't occur works to Carpenter on that level. Either. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this guy, he gets all of the um, offensive relics jokes uh, in the movie. Everyone else comes out pretty Scott clean, but he is... Uh, in and of himself, just a problematic constantly. Um, one of the students who I call bruise uh, gets a bruise from a fairly minor bump that she had uh, when she ran into some of the equipment. And then only one of these students gets to leave because he had some other plans. This, this uh, is a uh, Justin long. Eighties. <laughs> <laughs> Justin long, Justin long senior. Yes. Um, he gets to as soon as he steps outside the building, he finds a crucified pigeon. Yes, which is just freaky. You know, Sean, that's an unnatural cross. That's an unnatural. That is an unnatural cross. <laughs> that's a sign of voodoo for sure. Justin Long, the only one that doesn't get dragged to hell in this movie. Ooh, hey, take a sip the... of water. You earned that one. <laughs> uh, Alice Cooper approaches him threateningly and then picks up half of a damn bicycle to wield at him, which I think is an amazing weapon. I've never seen someone utilize half of a bike as a weapon before. It worked really well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I do have, again, more information on that, if you'd like. Uh, yes. That is absolutely. from, apparently it is from, that was a, a, a gag that Cooper would do in his live show. That prop was his prop. And uh, oh. he met with Carpenter and said, I want to be in one of your movies. I want to be in a horror movie. And Carpenter's like, yeah, well, you can you can be in this one, but you got to bring that bike prop. I'm sorry, guys. I've been making a joke the whole time that this is Alice Cooper. This is actually no. Alice Cooper. That's Alice Cooper. Oh, Alice shit. Cooper. My, my mind just exploded. <laughs> yeah, that's Alice Cooper. I thought, I thought we were just all in on this joke together and having a great time as friends. Well, we are. No, nope. but... You're, <laughs> you're wrong, but also correct. I don't know. <laughs> Story of my life, bud. So, uh, Alice Cooper runs fake Justin Long clean through with half of a bicycle. Mm-hmm. And then fake Justin Long falls onto the tire and just remains standing at a 45 degree what angle. What a kill. This. 
Yeah. What a kill. And the blood spurting out of his back. So good. Really sells so it. Good. I loved it so much. Now, I assume he goes to heaven. He does not get dragged to hell. The other ones that get turned into zombies are the ones that get dragged to hell, just to clarify my previous statements. Yes, I, I believe so. He's the <laughs> only one we don't see come back uh, later. Well, and also, as you know, if you die with a roof over your head, you go to hell because your spirit can't make it way up, so it's got to go down. Mm-hmm. They got to fix the ventilation in these things. <laughs> they do. They do. Especially with COVID. <laughs> so the students have been running some tests and they find out that the liquid is building itself into something, but they don't know what it is. Carbon and dating is aging it around 7 million years old. Does that, is that even how that works? Can they do that? Uh, I thought like carbon yeah, dating they, took, they can do carbon dating took stuff, longer yeah. than that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I don't know. Yes, carbon dating's real. No, I. you probably can't do carbon date something in a span of two hours. Instant carbon dating. Just add water. Because uh, I think it often has something to do with, like, radioactive yes, half-lives. Yes, that is how it works. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and once again, I'm just, there are so many candles, crosses, uh, scientific work lights, so much computer equipment. This whole thing is like, it's just chock-a-block full. Every direction you look in every room is just full of cool shit. And I really just want to go and walk around that as a museum. It kind of reminds me of there was advertisements as a kid where there was like some drink maker where you would basically put dry ice or something to make like fizzy sugar drinks that were supposed to be from a mad scientist lab. Mm -hmm. And that's what this basement looks like to me. Just like your classic mad scientist thing where it's just equipment everywhere and a big spooky blender in the middle full of Spooky blender and spinach. <laughs> um, so uh, the the carbon lady, she's hanging out. Carbon lady's hanging out with hacksaw Jim Duggan. <laughs> is how, oh is how I is how I look at that guy. And uh, hacksaw Jim Duggan decides that it'd be a good idea to leave her alone as she hangs out with this this canister, and um, the canister starts dripping up. And what is such an easy basic effect, but man, the way it's shot and the way that's edited in, it works really well for me. This upside down filming of liquid. Falling. It looks good. It does look. It good. looks really mm-hmm. cool. And it's this dark green, and this pool starts to fill on the top of the ceiling. And then, very similarly to um, the the thing, I thought the similar effect as the dogs when they shoot the goo. Yep. Uh, this lady gets blasted in the face with green slime. It's I like this whole little thing is intercut um, and it raises the tension because upstairs, the theology student has translated enough of the book. And this is this is where it gets wild. She's translated enough of the book to find out that it involves the father of Satan, <laughs> who is an alien. Yep. That Jesus warned us about. I think they also say uh, Jesus was an alien. Jesus is, a, yeah. Jesus is an alien, too. The evil is some ancient evil. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, the father <laughs> buried... So insane. The father of Satan buried his son, Satan, in a canister to try to erase him. Jesus Christ is an extraterrestrial who was sent here to warn us, but we didn't heed Jesus' warning because we did not have the scientific technology yet to, to prove, prove it, it. Yes. This all so makes sense. So it just became another legend. Yeah. This is... I mean, did you guys go to Sunday school? Because this was like week two kind of stuff. <laughs> oh, I don't yeah. know. This was real basic. 
It's a 101. <laughs> <laughs> this was where I was like, how did I not remember this from the first time I watched this movie? I must have not been paying attention because this is awesome. Yep. This is yes. like the coolest depiction of religion that I've seen in a while. I love it. It's crazy. And I love it goes back to the, the poor woman in the basement who got blasted in the face. Um, and I like how they depict her change from like normal to possessed is uh, her shirt is a little more unbuttoned and kind of off at the shoulders a little bit. And her hair is blown back like Sigourney Weavers and Ghostbusters. Yes. This is what happens when you become possessed. Yeah. <laughs> you get bigger hair. Donald Pleasance has two outstanding moments coming up. And this one is a monologue. Apparently a decision was made to characterize pure evil as a spiritual force, even within the darkness in the hearts of men. That was more convenient. In that way, man remained at the center of things. A stupid lie, we were salesmen, that's all. We sold our product to those who didn't have it. The new life. Reward ourselves, punish our enemies. So we can live without truth. Substance. Malevolence. That was the truth. Asleep. Until now. Woo! It rules. That's a, that is amazing. That's a it's monologue, awesome. man. Holy shit. I'm going to make that my ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> At least for spooky season. Yeah. If you were in a bank Imagine. and that ringtone went off, security would be all over you. The fact that the in the textbook, or in the, the text of the book that she's translating, it says that it's been a secret for 2,000 years. Like, they fully know, the Brotherhood of Sleep is like, we're half priests, half ancient monastic order, uh, protecting the world from this goop, uh, and the Satan within it. And I just love this, like, this is so much cooler than the Da Vinci Code. Oh my god, big time. <laughs> This is how you do it. Are you watching yes. Dan Brown? <laughs> uh, which, once again, the whole secret priest thing connects in both movies. We didn't think about it that deeply either. We just thought, oh, you know, they're kind of similar in some ways. So it's 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 really interesting, yeah, that we yeah that we came up yeah. with so many things so far, and I bet we'll find more. As I was watching Prince of Darkness after having seen The Borderlands. I was like, oh my god, this this pairing is genius. <laughs> again <laughs> yeah. and again, it's like, these movies are commentary on each other. We this stumbled awesome. onto something, yes. So, uh, the woman who got sprayed in the face is acting all creepy. She's like, appearing, disappearing around corners and stuff. Um, one of the men goes looking for her in the catacombs. and That's a Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Hacksaw Jim Duggan. <laughs> uh, and I love just, once again, the simplicity of this shot where... He bends over some scientific equipment that seems to need attention. Like and a moth, he's drawn to a flashing light that's beating. Yes! It's like, what the <laughs> hell is he doing? Uh, and she appears from the back of the frame and just snaps his neck. Just like, Wait, is that when she comes from behind the doorway? No, that one's later, but that that's, one is great. That's the scare that got me. That's the one yes. I was like, oh! Like, I didn't expect it. That one really got me. Yeah, that's all in one shot, and she yeah. just appears from out of nowhere, seemingly. Oof. 
Um, the professor and the priest uh, are still debating the scientific basis. And this is where we get the idea of not just the devil, but anti-God, as yeah. in anti-matter versus matter. And the professor theorizes, um, I believe, that the anti-God exists in a mirror of our own universe. Which... The an- yeah, the universal mind resides in the mirror image, not in the universes we want to believe. Right. Maybe he's anti-God bringing darkness instead of light. Even if we were told the truth, we didn't have the technology to prove it. It would have been another legend. And Pleasance responds. This is such a cool scene between these two character actors. Um, Pleasance responds that we should have warned people anyway. He was our prisoner, not yours. Only the corrupt are listened to now. They tell us what we want to hear. We believe it to be divine light. It just got colder in here as something moved through the room. And it's like, it's almost as if this this realization that everything that Pleasance has believed is a lie causes the, the entire universe to feel suddenly colder to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, the um, Donald Pleasance's little monologues that he gets to do here with, they're almost like broken strings of thought where he's kind of piecing this together out loud and berating himself and going back and forth on his own faith. Um, made me want to see a one-man show just of Donald Pleasance. He's so good. He is When you you give him time to really chew the scenery and make six words take 25 seconds, Yes. You get great results. Best of the best. Um, It made me think of, have either of you ever seen the movie Secret Honor? Nope. I don't think so, no. It's a one-man show uh, starring Philip Baker Hall who would later go on to be in uh, P.T. Anderson uh, movies. Uh, it was based on a play, and it is Philip Baker Hall as Richard Nixon, like, in his study in the late 70s. I've heard uh, of it. I've, I've definitely never seen it. Yeah, it's and it's one of these things that I thought was going to be like taking medicine to watch, kind of like my dinner with Andre. When I finally got to watch it, I was like, holy shit, this is a great movie. Okay. This is the same kind of thing where I was just blown away by one actor doing something. And this is what I wanted to I want a version of Secret Honor with Donald Pleasance, basically, at this point. Come on, deep fake. You, you guys watch you watched Masters of Horror. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I uh, remember the Black Cat episode. It's uh Jeffrey Combs as oh, yeah, yeah. Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. Yep. Apparently Jeffrey Combs was doing a one man stage yeah. show as Edgar Allan Poe. And that was one of the best episodes of the series for me, based entirely off of his performance. Like, the way he was able to sink into that mm-hmm. was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. Combs is a legend. That's these, so these character actors and these actors who, who appear primarily in genre films do not get the, the kudos that they deserve, like, by a long shot. I Usually not, no. You know who else doesn't get the kudos for his acting ability? Mullet, when he goes, this is Kaka. (laughs) It's it's Kaka. I'm like, oh my god, that is some like real specific time period. He Uh was cursing right there, you know? Real stiff, not good. Don't worry though, because he gets his comeuppance real quick as three of the characters were outside arguing about whether they believe what's happening inside the church. Uh... And Mullet stands outside yelling, it's Kaka, at everybody as the other ones go in. 
And then he's promptly attacked and killed by the bowing woman with a pair pair of gardening shears, I think. That kill rules. Yeah. It's again it, and again. It's like a Giallo kill. <laughs> it oh, it's is. Vicious. It reminded me of um Oh god, what's the Italian dude's name? Blanking. Which one? Director, Suspiria. Argento. Argento, Argento yeah. It reminded me of an Argento kill where sure. it's just you get this repeated stab again and again and again and the blood and everything. And the sound during yeah. that, like of the flesh being pierced is so good. Yeah. Um, I just want to point out at this point, this was where I was like, my god, this score is so cool because the score has basically been non-stop the entire movie and it's this swelling and it goes up and it comes back down but it's always there and it's always present and it's something that i hadn't noticed until it builds to this point it's constructed in a way where you notice it at the right time and it is very effective it's unbelievable it it elevates this movie to a a height so much higher than it would be without it Mm -hmm. um i also wanted to point out and this is as good a time as any the uh, anamorphic lenses that they used to shoot this movie, the wide angle anamorphic lenses that make everything feel a little bit off and a little bit um, heightened. I mean, they definitely like heighten the drama. And this is totally one of the things that we stole from when when making the reenactment um, in kind of trying to do this anamorphic format with the, you see all the lights in the frame and you see the the smears and the bouquet from them. And it's just so cool. And I feel like it's so carpenter and so it's just recognizable. And I think almost every frame of this, and it's a very locked down film. There's not a lot of handheld, not a lot of crazy camera moves. A lot of it's locked down kind of one shot on sticks sort of thing. The first five minutes I said out loud to my wife, every movie needs to look like this. This is, <laughs> this is all I want to see. I absolutely agree. That's the way to do it. It's so just rich looking and has so much depth in every shot. Yeah. I feel like, uh, and that's what makes this, this kill very cool because it looks almost like they're in a black void when it happens. Like this guy is off He's in a spotlight in the middle of this parking lot, and it's just so. Where did she come from? Where did like? It's so good. <laughs> yeah. She cuts his hand off after he's dead. Uh, there's cockroaches all over, or not cockroaches, beetles. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, after this. Um. Oh, one oh, of this is the. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, this is where uh, I think one of the guys falls asleep and starts having the dream uh, that looks like video footage. Uh, Dustin, what do you think about the sound design that goes along with this, the the recurring dream? It works. It's perfect. It's per. I really, truly, it's perfect. Um, The look of that footage, which Mm -hmm. they did achieve by filming that footage on a television, which is how you get that look that it has. Um, The sound design could not be cooler. I, I think it's I think it's 10 out of 10. I it's so effective. And it's weird because I when I, I've seen this movie a few times, but every time I watch it, I forget about that whole aspect of it. This whole mm-hmm. dream, repeating dream, but I love the concept so much and it seems to work so well. I yeah, I, I think it couldn't be it couldn't be cooler. It's like you you instantly get that it is a broadcast mm-hmm. moving through time, through dreams. It tells you that, you know, we don't have the technology to do it any other way. So you have to receive this in your dreams. Right. Uh, it all comes across so well, like, and it's a complicated idea. And the fact that they were able to make it work 
with that visual and that audio says something. I think it's, yeah, it's fantastic. And the sound I, design to me sounded like, um, it reminded me of 28 Days Later, but not of the movie, but the movie uses a lot of music from Godspeed You, Black Emperor. Mm-hmm. And that band has like 15 minute long songs and 28 Days Later uses like a couple minutes of their music here or there. But if you listen to those other songs in their entirety, there's a lot of like, looping radio transmission pickup with heavy distortion and it it, it sounded just like this i Mm -hmm. wonder if they're influenced in any way by it and the way like dustin you were saying i feel like we actually don't even need the explanation later that the scientists give when they figure out what it is i feel like they're behind the audience because i don't need the explanation i buy into it when they're like this is a broadcast from the year one nine nine nine. It's so it's this melding of seemingly like an old sci-fi idea. Yes, with the new way to present it. When you just did that, I legitimately got goosebumps. You can't see that, but I, when you said the one nine nine like that, I was like, "Whoa!" Yeah. It just it works for me. There's something about that, just the concept alone, that's like, "Oh my god, yes, I love." Yes. Yeah. So the the professor wakes up. He's had the same dream. This is when Donald Pleasance conveniently goes, Oh, everyone who's near here has the same dream, by the way. <laughs> by the way. But- <laughs> <laughs> uh, BT Dubs forgot to the, mention. The dream will start to push everything else out of the room to make room for itself. Uh, this is where Jim Duggan, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, gets an evil drip in his mouth. Uh, uh, the, the lady who's called Bruise. Her bruise now has, like, an unnatural cross on it. Yes. Uh, we get the cool shot that Dustin was talking about earlier when one of the women goes to lay down in their makeshift sleeping quarters. The one who was uh, the theology student, I believe. Uh, and the now-possessed woman from the basement, like, it's all in one shot. It follows her across the room and back, and then she lays down, and it just holds on her for a second, and you're almost thinking like this shot seems too long should have ended yeah yes and then the door moves and the woman steps out from behind the door in the background i was shocked it's 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 not nearly as effective but exorcist 3 hallway scare yes uh, similar uh in in its construction um yep boy it's it's really well done i love that that's probably my favorite scare in the movie yeah and it's so once again it's just a cheap of cheap not it's even nothing. Effect. A it's person nothing. walks out from behind the door from a shadow. <laughs> it's so stupid. Oh, it, it works so well. It's like, as they say, horror and comedy. It's just the timing of it. Mm-hmm. Yes. When? How far do we push this? And is it three and a half seconds? Is it four point two seconds? Where? Where do you drop your guard? Well, that's the thing. And if, Carpenter just seems tuned into it. If they had waited another five seconds, I probably would have noticed. Hang on, is there some? What's back? I yes. I would have started to look. But they the timing is pristine. I'm bothered by how people take naps in this movie. Mm-hmm. Everyone puts their feet on the blankets at the end of the cot, but nobody uses the blanket. She puts the blanket Who's... down and doesn't use it. Right? Who's napping without a blanket? What kind of creepy person are you, man? Like I That's do. just weird. If you have a blanket there, cover yourself up. Everyone likes a little blanket. I often sleep without a blanket. Is that just me? D- oh, yeah. Do you? Yeah, like, like no sheet, got... no nothing. Just in the oh, raw. No. In the raw, baby. Josh, do you do that? No, I frequently. Oh, thank God! Thank uh, God. <laughs> will take naps on my couch downstairs. Both of the couches, or all three of the couches, have a blanket on the back. 
and the blanket is specifically for pulling down onto Burrito. yourself mm-hmm. as you roll over. Yes. Uh, and if I'm too warm, I still use the blanket, but I don't cover the rest of myself. I just cover my shoulders with it and gives me something to hold on to. Like, yes. you got to have that. Dustin, I, I often sleep without a blanket. I, I will admit, <laughs> I, I do have a stuffed animal that I sleep with. Uh, <laughs> Because and Dustin, I'm just I'm picturing you with like your hands no, crossed over your chest and you, you're just touching your shoulders like you're a corpse. Well, it's essentially that because I'm clutching this little bear that I have. That's unfortunate, uh, Teddy. And uh, I, yeah, I'm essentially just holding him like this. I, I don't know. It's I, no one's ever said that was weird. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's a little disconcerting. It's because I need to hold. I I can't just like lay my hands down flat. That's weird. Right. Uh, but yeah, I have to, I have to be clutching something, but that's, yeah, I, I don't know. In the winter, I like to, I like a blanket, but if it's, if it's summer, nah, no, not just, a blanket, but in summer, it, in summer, you still, you just need a light sheet. Yes. Even you when I need a, just, a, just a basic covering. If I'm, if I'm camping and it's very hot, I still need a sheet, like just a basic thin sheet to do it. Hmm. Dustin, do you sleep in the nude? Uh, very close. <laughs> do people want to know I, this? Cause I yeah because we like because yeah, I sleep in the nude and so I can't I I live alone and I would still feel pr- like privacy issues of like sleeping in the nude on top of the bed no covers so just, I would still feel vulnerable just somehow. wear your little underpants and that's it that's all you need no because I'm afraid of testicle torsion <laughs> when I was in high school a kid oh, ball, like yep. was like rolling around and it got like wrapped up in oh, his boxer. Oh, and then, like, the blood flow got messed up, and he had to go to the hospital to get I, them to untwisted I, or something. I know two guys that this has happened to, and they both lost it. Oh! Yeah, so yeah. just be careful when you're sleeping, everybody. So This is a PSA. <laughs> uh, Sean, you and I both, at various times in our lives, have been couch sleeper guys. Oh, yeah. When you sleep on the couch, are you, are you naked? No, okay. couch is shirtless with boxers. Your okay. guests appreciate that, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I appreciate you asking that. Uh, yes, I could hear your concern if you ever visited me and wanted to sit <laughs> on that couch. <laughs> I can hear the concern in your voice. Just wondering. <laughs> You're uh, like, hold on, what are we uncovering? That's, so, when I am nearly a never nude, I, like, take my clothes into the bathroom generally with me. And then when I'm done with my shower, I emerge and I am dressed again. Glorious, fully dressed. Yes. Uh, hair clothed. Yeah. Um, but when I used to sleep on my couch back when I had my depression apartment, um, after I was divorced, I would frequently sleep in my jeans. Like I used to do that too. Yes. I remember sleeping in jeans. Yeah. I did that a lot. You guys are gnarly. Yeah. Just straight up, like at the end of the day, like, uh, and that's when I drank as well. And I literally would like have a beer pop my shirt off and just lay down on the couch. This is a hundred percent the same. Or like you're yep. at a party and you need to, you're going to sleep there. You yes. just sleep in your jeans. Yeah. You just do it. I mean, yeah. If, if I'm sleeping on the floor of a party house, I'm sleeping fully clothed. Yes. But sometimes I don't know. You just don't feel like I couldn't take my armor off. I had to be ready at all times, especially in that apartment. There could have been uh, a gunfight. Or <laughs> something break out. Um, that's the apartment that had SWAT teams called on our neighbors uh, when oh we were living God. there. So, yeah. 
We're learning a lot today. Yeah. I mean, every episode we go deep in a different way. That's why this show rules, by the way. Thank you. The running time adds to the (laughs) what you guys are free to talk about. Yes. It's it's a strength. I really like it's great. I love the show. I actually I, I surprisingly edit very little of the tangents out of this show. You should and I would I would think I'd be like, that's too off topic, but eh, I leave them all in. I, I think they're all interesting. That's pretty naive of me or vain of me, but But those are my favorite of of the of the Girl and Rust shows when they go super long and they wind up talking about the mall that they went toy shopping in as a child. I want to hear that weird story. Those are the yes. best things yeah. to hear. I, yeah, those are the best. Yep. Yeah. Leave that stuff in, please. The the movie is a springboard for us to become bros. That's what I that's what I think. A thousand percent. Yep. For sure. Um so back to said movie. <laughs> uh Evil Lisa is typing at stenographer level all of a sudden with an ab- absolutely emotionless dead face. Her students, her coworkers walk in to check on her very concerned she's typing i live i live you will not be saved and uh something about the god of platinum will not save you or something you Uh, will not be saved by the lord jesus you will not be saved by the god plutonium in fact you will not be saved (laughs) in fact you will not be saved it sounds like glados from portal yes and this was uh i call this guy carling colder Colder is because I, I think they said his name is Colder Calder. I don't know. That's what I call him. Uh, it's at this point that Susan approaches him from behind and then Lisa attacks him from the front. They hold him down and it looks like they're making out. But she you can hear like gargling noises as she's filling him up with green goo vomit. Uh, this uh, Calder, I know him because of Boys in the Hood. Um, he was the police officer uh, in Boys in the Hood and was like, he's imprinted in my brain like so much of that movie is from that period of time. I'm having cat trouble, sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm distracted by a <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to get him. He's wrapped up in the mic cave layer. <laughs> That's Poe. Cats, Aww. man. Just we, agents of chaos. We all call him Mr. P, though. Nice. Bye, Mr. P. I love you. Uh, Calder walks out, he sees some of his fellow students, but he's clearly in some kind of, uh, possessed state. He's singing Amazing Grace and carrying what looks like a piece of banister. Anyways, he snaps. He reaches over and just snaps it off. Yeah. 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 And he snaps off a piece of the chair and, uh, stabs slash cuts his neck, his throat. I can't really tell what he's doing, but either way, Calder kills himself. The priest is talking to the rest of the students and he's telling them their dream back to them um and everyone's agreeing that they've had the same dream about the front of the church and a dark hooded figure emerging from it um and then they figure out the science of how the dreams are working um with someone (laughs) this is what i wrote someone in the future sending a signal back in time it's all goofy and awesome that's what, oh yeah, because uh, I don't care. It's it's just great. Oh, Josh, how could you not care about the tachyons that move faster than the speed of light, which would allow video information to be transmitted back in time? It is such good um, Star Wars, early Star Wars, X Files, Buffy the Vampire Slayer gobbledygook. Yeah, that I'm just like, you just I want these words to wash over me, and I don't care what they mean. It's just great. It's fun. 
This next bit is straight out of both Halloween 3 and The Thing, because Mullet, who is now known as Bug Guy, is outside, and Bug Guy has a message for them. Uh, he, what is he? I think he says, pray for death. Yeah. And then his head falls off, and <laughs> bugs just pour out of every single sleeve opening, and he just becomes a pile of beetles. If I saw that as a child, I would explode. Yes. <laughs> uh, I wrote, uh, he's falling apart, he's just turning into bugs, and frankly, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. But this is that moment, like, when they find Bennings outside, and Bennings is now the thing, and you get that, like, iconic moment. Oh, it's so good. So you can, I feel Carpenter dipping back in a little here or there, but in, in the best way possible, where it's not a straight homage, it's just little pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this Sean, is where Professor and Mouth Trumpeter together, right? Well, I wanted to point out, when that dude stabs his neck with the, the chair banister or whatever um he's crying and laughing at the same time the performance is great it is he, astonishing he's 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 something he's he's got it yeah and sweating he, he's just like dripping wet yeah and he looks like somebody who is literally trying to do something and can't and it's just and that oh. continues when he's later looking in the mirror yes uh, that he's 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 very impressive i truly I, he was other than uh, you know, probably Pleasance, he he might be he might take best actor in this. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there's not really that many clunky. I mean, some of the lines here or there are a little clunky, but overall, this movie's pretty well acted for the most part. Um, especially with the size of cast that this has. Like like I yeah. said before, mullet. Mullet was probably the weakest. There's a bad apple or two, but yeah, with this with this big of an ensemble, yeah, I think you're right. Everyone's pretty great. So Professor and Mouth Trumpet are trying to get out, but they find that everyone, all the people outside, have put giant trash piles against all the doors, and so they are sealed inside. Um, this was, this part was nuts. When uh, Kelly, who kind of looks pregnant because she has so much goo inside of her. But how does the goo get into her? That's this okay. is, that's they, they the talk, amazing part. They talk about this a little bit in the commentary. Okay. Uh, part of the, one of the properties of the thing in the slushy machine, it is, is, if you notice early on, it's like moving tables and somehow things are happening around. Right, uh, the ants and the things. It, yeah. it is. It is using this uncertainty principle to put objects and matter where it shouldn't be, and so I think the thinking is it has basically got a direct line to this woman now that it's in her. Uh huh. So it's sort of filling her from within. You would never see it, but that's that's sort of the behind the scenes. Like I think what they're going for, but it is not obviously not very well communicated in the film. But there's I, this. I like it. There's yeah. this awesome shot of uh, the two women who are currently possessed apparently have moved the canister upstairs, which I have no idea how they would do it. That thing is massive. Uh, and it's continuing to leak all over the ceiling. So it's dripping up and creating yeah. a pool on the ceiling. That scene rules. And then it's flowing into the mouth and eyes of the poor woman with the bruise, who yeah, now becomes too, the pregnant yeah. woman. Yeah. And it's all just reversed, like upside down and reversed footage 
but it looks so cool that it's just like going into her orifices yeah. so forcefully, uh, and it's horrifying. That, it's such a that cool shot. shot of her eye sockets and wide open mouth, just like yes, torrential flood of green liquid coming out of them was quite shocking. Yeah, yeah, Dustin, like you said, we talked before about like would this movie scare anyone? And I think people who aren't horror fans would feel tense watching this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think they'd be scared, but I think kids would be haunted by some of the imagery in this movie. Big time. Um, so Colder is back on his feet, as is Jim Duggan. They have both been zombified, essentially. The group barricades the door. Uh, this is where the group gets split up. We have Mustache and Lead Lady Professor and cannon fodder, as I call him, uh, because he's an actor who has not had a single line yet, and he's in there with all of our main characters, so yeah. you know he's not going to stick around very long. Um, in the other room, we have Big Trouble, and Big Trouble, like you said earlier, Josh, has Susan and black-haired ladies standing guard outside of his door. Donald Pleasance is hiding behind... Um, what is he hiding behind? It's like a big steel canister or something? I think it's a furnace. A furnace or like a boiler or something? Yeah. Okay. Uh, this part definitely reminded me of 28 Days Later. Like hiding behind the mirror and then the zombie walks in and mm-hmm. sees the mirror and gets fixated on it. Um, that had some really strong... Uh, that sentence just... That sentence died. <laughs> Rest in peace. <laughs> the main part of the crew uh realize that um the man trapped in the closet is right next to them and they can maybe dig through the wall to get him out which this wall consists of um like a plaster level and then like lath behind that and then a brick wall behind that yes <laughs> it's a serious wall i don't oh, know yeah. how they can hear him through it Okay. Yeah, that's a good She's, point. She grabs a piece of wood that has some metal bit attached to it, and she starts chipping away at the wall, and he's like, how long do you think it'll take? And she's like, I think it'll take hours. She's knocking, like, head-sized pieces of plaster off of this wall. Uh-huh. It looks like she could get through this in eight seconds. Yes. But it's, as, we, as we see later... um, Big Trouble's in there not doing a goddamn thing. Yeah. When he decides it's time to smash the wall, he gets through his wall in like eight seconds. Like, these people are just dilly-dallying, and, man. And he he bashes it open with a flashlight. <laughs> He's going hard, too. Yeah, but do you remember how heavy those mag lights were uh, back in yeah, the day? That's true. Six C batteries in them? Oh, my God. And you know it still worked after that. This the... is a commercial. <laughs> <laughs> mag light, if you're listening, please sponsor us. The now pregnant woman seems to be her flesh seems to be deteriorating. Uh, her skin is starting to look like Freddy Krueger's. She's super gross and goopy looking. Um, the priest is trapped in the other room and Calder comes in and approaches a mirror, um, like Sean said, and he's like laugh crying at the mirror. Uh, this is where a mustache man tries to make it outside and. There, there's groups of homeless people at either end of the alleyway. It's the only exit it appears to be, and he jumps from the second story, and they immediately are on him. I'm like, what did he think he was gonna do? <laughs> oh, 
But I like this. It it definitely continues. It pushes that that claustrophobic feeling, and it and it is like a fun scene, like a little extra yeah. tension. You know, I would you would play that as a kid. It's like just like you know, uh, almost like Biflora's lava or whatever. But yes. it, it's a similar it's a similar thing, and it's just like a little extra bit that adds a lot to the tension. I think. Uh, Pregnant lady is starting to look a lot like Jeff Goldblum in The Fly. Yes. Uh, her her stomach is moving on its own. It's uh so weird and goopy. And then Mustache Man and uh, Curly Redhead have a tender moment and start kissing in the middle of all of this. <laughs> what is wrong? What is wrong with these people? Why are they doing this, Sean? Danger, man. It, it excites you. It's an aphrodisiac. <laughs> the uh, professor starts talking about how the evil force needs a host body. Uh, so once again, we cut from like the pregnant woman to him talking about how it needs a host body. Um, the guy in the closet tells them that her body is changing, not just her skin, but her bone structure. Uh, and she looks like um, I, my comparison was Hellraiser when they looks when, like Julia. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then she starts moving things with her mind. And the guy in the closet starts freaking out as the women are start breaking down the door. Yeah, she mind smashes his door. Yeah. Which the door that Big Trouble is hiding behind also looks like it's about a quarter inch thick plywood that would you could blow it down. Yeah. It's like a pantry door. Yeah. <laughs> they like put their arms through it very quickly. Um, it might as well be just a, a paper room divider at that point. Uh, so, like we said, Big Trouble starts wailing away at his wall. They get him out of there in seconds, but um, they drag him. And as as they drag him through, the dark-haired lady also gets dragged through into the brick hole. And so they start beating her with bricks, <laughs> yeah. which I thought was hilarious. But that didn't work, so they just up and chuck her out the window. <laughs> I love That's, that so it's, much. It's an obvious stuntman, but I love that scene. Yeah, it is one of those hilarious, obvious stuntman moments. But the, I love that they just go. You know what? You're going out the window. That's this is how we're going to deal with this. It was great. That's uh, everything is just going crazy at this point. Um, mustache and uh, cannon fodder have lured broken neck guy into the room, and they try to kill him. But he spits up the goo into Cannon Fodder's face. Um, yeah. The action cross cuts between the gang breaking through the wall, uh, Mustache Man fighting with the possessed dude in the hallway, uh, fully possessed bruise lady uh, picks up a makeup mirror and says, Father, and then sticks her fingers into the mirror and into another dimension, yep. which is just yeah. so cool. The effect rules. It's really yeah. cool, yeah. And it looks like the other side of the mirror is a black water void. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, so Jim Duggan attacks him. The professor ends up stabbing Jim Duggan in the eye with a pencil? I don't know what, I don't know what he gets stabbed in the eye with. I love that his first defense was to shake up a can of soda and spray it in his face. When he, he, when he, and he like goes straight for it. Yeah, he like he's yeah. like, oh, I got a plan. I have a plan. Right, Fanta, baby, <laughs> the Fanta defense. Um, so this is uh the fly now. She goes and finds the big mirror in the Donald Pleasance room, where Calder is standing, 
and she again calls for her father and she reaches her entire arm into the mirror but this time something reaches back and she starts to pull this hellboy looking hand out but first uh we <laughs> we get uh Father Donald Pleasance leaping out from behind the furnace with an axe, and he chops her arm off, and then it yeah. grows back instantly. Yes, just oh, shoots right. out of the sleeve. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is the second arm. I forgot. Yeah. I remember the first. But, and I, he has the element of surprise, and then he steps out with the axe and goes, "I'm gonna kill you." Or when he says something, and it's like, "Dude, you just lost the element of surprise." Yeah, he he screams at him first, but. I, I, I remember being slightly disappointed because I remember wanting to see him like go nuts with the axe mm -hmm. and like do the job like Evil Dead style and get blood all over him and stuff. Uh, because I he just does, want Evil Dead to happen all the time. But to be fair, he does decapitate her. And when she picks her head back up and puts it back on, that it is, is awesome. Yes. Hello, lover. <laughs> that as a Raimi Evil Dead guy, you must have been nuts about that moment. Truly, I was on my feet. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> Uh, and then she starts pulling the, the hand through, and it's a big, rubbery-looking devil hand uh, with big-ass claws and stuff on it. Uh, then Curly Redhead runs into the room and dive-tackles her into the mirror dimension. Hell yeah, Curly Redhead lady. Way to sacrifice yourself. You did it. Um, that shot on the other side, where it shows Curly Redhead, reaching for the light as she's being dragged into this black void. Uh, scary. Like, that, that's a genuinely scary shot in this movie. It is. Totally agree. Um, the homeless people outside disperse. This is... The score finally stops, and this is where I realized, like, whoa, the score has been going and building and building and building for a long time now, and the silence after this moment is kind of deafening. Once the priest breaks the mirror, instantly all of the possessed people like fall down and smoke starts coming out of their mouths. The The ceiling pool of goop dissipates. Um, and once again, it's just, they just shot it upside down, but it looks so cool. <laughs> I so love it so much. It is, yeah, it, it really, very effective. Um, the guy who was trapped in the closet jumps out of the window and runs for help. Uh, and we're introduced back to the almost um, episodic kind of editing that we saw at the beginning, where it's just like, it's very much monster is dead. We're going to wrap this up as quickly as possible, which I appreciate. I really like that. Yep. We don't get a whole lot of like, oh, what happened with this and that? We don't care. It's just the monster's dead. The safe people are safe. The dead people are dead. Redhead is trapped in the demon dimension with uh, the fly lady now. I love that Mustache is acting like the love of his life has just died. As I do, this was a one night stand that you <laughs> like. You just met this woman. They've known each other for like four days. Yes, if that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Donald Pleasance, as he's on a gurney. I, why is he on a gurney? I don't know. But because he, he got is. crushed by the thing. Oh, that's right. He got crushed yeah. by the furnace. That's right. He tells the professor, we stopped it. I stopped it. <laughs> yeah. that, the the future created by that vile serpent <laughs> won't happen now. He takes all the credit. Yes. You know what? He's earned it. He's earned the it. Pro the professor tries to placate Mustache like, 
oh, the small parts are necessary for the whole or something. It's like, maybe now is not the time to tell how, like, his girlfriend's sacrifice is good for everyone. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we finally get um, the complete broadcast, too. Because um, it's always been cut off up until this point. This is actually where we finally hear that it's tran- the transmission is from the year 1999. And then, uh, who walks out of the building but curly fucking redhead? Uh-huh. Son of a bitch. <laughs> the mustached man who is having this dream wakes up, rolls over, and then sees the fly woman in bed with him, and then screams and wakes up again. And... Bedside surprise. Classic. Yes. It's... I don't know if it was, like, overdone at this point, but this still feels really fun, and it happens so quickly that I don't mind it. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of movies do that, and it, it'll really take a toll. You know? Yeah. But, but no, this is... It's very snappy, so it's like, oh, I'll forgive it. it. You know, even though we've seen it a few times at this point. Yeah, it's easily forgivable. The, yeah, the double dream thing would be a dumb ending, except this movie ends perfectly. Yes, that's as true. As far as I'm concerned, that's true. Uh, I just the rewatched. Must- oh, go ahead. Uh, no, uh, just, I, was I was just going to just reiterate the ending. So I was ahead. just going to go down a bit of a double dream thing. I just rewatched the movie Revenge. Have you guys seen Revenge? No. Okay, it's a French film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a. Uh, anyway, there's. If you haven't seen it, I, I don't want to spoil anything. But there is a. There is a double triple almost quadruple dream scene. Okay. And it's, it works, but on a rewatch of the movie, I'm like, all right, we get it. <laughs> so it worked the first time, but yeah, but if you guys haven't seen revenge, oh man, please watch revenge. It's on shutter. It's, it's so good. Yeah. It's on my watch oh, cool. list. Please watch for, it. It's fantastic. So. Yeah. Uh, mustache looks into the mirror and approaches it tentatively and reaches out his fingers outstretched and approaches slowly and just as he's about to touch the mirror cut to black the end see you later it's the it's the inception ending nolan you stole it from carpenter (laughs) admit it just admit it already (laughs) um and that ending is awesome that's one of those movies where or that's one of those endings where it's like hell yeah this movie ended on a on a real high note. Yeah. Uh, so what do we rate this movie? Uh, I will start it off. I love it. I think the soundtrack is amazing. Um, character wise, it, it's much more a movie about like just big ideas and theological ideas. And it's just a lot of ideas. There's not, that much depth to a lot of them but there's a ton to talk about character arcs there's not really any character arcs but overall just the way that the cinematography combines with the music combines with the performances it's the whole carpenter crew they're all together again uh i love it it's a four out of five for me dustin what do you if you had to if we were forcing you and you can go on half stars okay if you if you so desire no, I, I think Sean nailed it there. I think it's a four. I think it's four out of five. Uh, I just to leave room for all the, the top top tier stuff, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, at the top. But now, I this movie does does it for me, and my personal feelings, you know, I think add a lot to that. Like, it's hard for me to look at it objectively 
because I just love so much stuff about it anyway, and I would no matter what. So, you know, I look past some of the, you know, not amazing effects or whatever. It's got issues, sure, but I, no, nothing that bothers me enough to really detract. So, yeah, it's a four out of five for sure. It's it's top tier. It's good. Yeah. Um, I'm a little higher, uh, I think, because I have just this strong affinity for it. I'm four and a half. Uh, and I give it a heart on Letterboxd um, because it is one of those that I can put on all the time. Yeah. And story-wise, it doesn't really match up, but it gives me the feeling of when I watched Reservoir Dogs that it's just a shotgun blast of cool ideas. Yep. Like, it's still kind of unformed, but you get all these fun performances. You get, and here you get lots of cool effects and lots of just wackiness. And it, it it doesn't overstay its welcome. Like, no, it zips through. Um, it does not feel like the 101 minutes that it is. Either. No, like it feels shorter than that. I think I could be convinced on a 4.5. It's yeah, it, it is good. It, it is up there for sure. Got to agree. Cool. Josh, are you editing this or am I? I don't know. You want to rock, paper, scissors? Sure. No, oh, shit. Wait, wait, we're going to go bop, bop, bop. Shoot. Okay. It, wait, is it, is it rock, what? paper, scissors, Shoot. and then and then show on the fourth count we show. Okay. Is is this like one and done or best of three? Come on, Dustin. What, what <laughs> Dustin? What do you say? No, I'm saying this is it. High stakes deal. This is it. One and done. Okay. Oh, I gotta shake them out. Got Let's it. See it. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Got to stretch. All right. All right. All right. One rock. Paper, scissors, scissors. shoot! shoot. Ah. Oh! Yes. Check, check, check. Test, test. There we go. Okay. So that was all of our Prince of Darkness talk. Now we are moving on to check, check. <laughs> God damn it! Uh. <laughs> all right, mics on. are good. We're moving Mike's on good. to. Uh, Final Prayer slash The Borderlands, uh, which is a, I believe, 2013 film from the UK, uh, directed by Elliot Goldner, who I know literally nothing about. This is his debut, and I don't know that he, he's done anything further. I'm going to check while The title you... of this movie is doing it no favors. Because in England, it was released as The Borderlands. But Borderlands is like a huge video game franchise. So there's your problem right there. So then in United States, it's released as Final Prayer. And a lot of times with movies, you'll see gener like online, there's generally a consensus to pick one title over the other. Mm -hmm. But in this one, every time I see this movie, on, it's one or the other titles. It, I think it really messed with the distribution. And yeah. I think it's one of the reasons that very few people have seen this because it's, it's tricky to track this one down. Looks like the director has pretty much just done television since. Um, yeah, I see something called hometown horror. Uh, and he's, there's an episode called satanic swamp. I'm sold. I'm, I'm already definitely already sold. in <laughs> <laughs> the Lake Erie murders blood in the water alley of death. Hell yes. Those are some good titles. Those yeah. are a lot better titles than the Borderlands. 
The Borderlands, yeah. aka Final Prayer, is how you have to Google it <laughs> to find it. It's how I'm gonna have to list this episode. Um, yeah, it's almost just the it's like the entire movie name is Borderlands, aka the, the Final Prayer. prayer. When uh, if you type Final Prayer in the letterbox, it brings up the Borderlands, which is very confusing. Yeah, and then soon there will be a Borderlands movie based on the video game. So rip so this, this movie. movie will get even further buried, buried. baby. Yes. <laughs> it is the... on iTunes okay. as Final Prayer, though, or iMovie or whatever <laughs> it's called. So. so viewers, if you were able to watch this movie, congratulations. You did what 99% of the human population was <laughs> unable to do. I found it on Amazon. It's on some streaming service. You can do a free trial. And this movie is part of that service. I forget the name of the service even, but uh, that's how I watched it this time for free, was baby. It... Was it uh, BritBox? It wasn't BritBox. It was something okay. else. I assumed it would be BritBox, but it was not. Okay, because I am interested in that as a service just because they have Inside Number 9, yep. the, the episodes that I haven't seen yet. So I've been thinking about checking that out. Dude. But uh, do... Cat problems. <laughs> <laughs> hey, buddy. You're going to ruin everything. That's what but they that's do. That's what cats do. Yes, yes. They're tiny Lokis. They almost knocked over my big daddy. Oh, that's a good big daddy. It's amazing. Yeah. I've never played a Bioshock. Oh, he almost oh. knocked over my signed picture of Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> what did he sign what? it? He signed it to my wife. Yo, Stephanie, love is blind. Tommy Wiseau, <laughs> 2018. He dated it? Yeah, dude. Well, why, that's nice of him. Why isn't that in a frame? I don't know. I don't know why it's not. <laughs> I totally would. Yeah, we should have. We will. So, uh, do we all have history with this movie? I watched it when it was new. Yeah. Okay. I don't remember how I found this movie. This might have been like a Reddit recommendation or something like that. Um, this was just a movie that. I just kind of was in the mood for a found footage, so I went in and watched this one, not expecting much, and then the last 15 minutes happened, and I was kind of knocked off my feet. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, when I joined... Oh, by the way, Dustin is the moderator from the With Gorley and Rust Discord, where we all met, we all became friends, mm -hmm. and how this podcast was created. Um... And Josh and I have actually been on his podcast, which we'll talk about later, yes. I'm sure. So, um, I was so excited when I presented this on that Discord, and Dustin chimed in, like, he's seen it too. Because, like, oh my god, someone else has seen this and can verify that this is a pretty badass little movie. I was doing some <laughs> research for this, and I was just looking for reviews or other podcasts that had discussed it. I found a few podcasts and a few reviews on YouTube, but mainly like kind of garbage stuff, like not really anything. Um, mm -hmm. People don't know about this movie. I'm so, ready to give this movie like the respect and attention that I think it really deserves. I agree that it does. Yeah. Not to not to spoil it too soon, but people should see this movie. So I watched this movie once again as part of one of our 24 hour marathons, October marathons that I do with my buddies. Um, and I wanted to read, my buddy Andrew is great at writing reviews for almost everything he watches, uh, which is very helpful for me trying to remember things that we watch in the middle of a 24-hour marathon, because that's an insane thing to do, and we should stop doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Andrew wrote, 
that it was the highlight of the marathon so far for me. Really great. Love crafty and found footage effort that makes great use of the format. This is why we do the marathon. This is what we hope to discover. These diamonds in the rough. Like, the, yes, exactly. That's exactly what this movie is. Um, and it is one that actually stuck with me. A lot of times things tend to bleed together when you watch them all, you know, like 12 or 14 movies back to back. But this one had stuck out at the time and has stuck with me since 2015 when we watched it. And yeah, I'm absolutely on board with this thing. This movie is very distinctly placed in my brain. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right that I don't blend this one together with other movies. I'm not combining The Last Exorcism with The Exorcism of Emily Rose or, or all, the, like, all the, a million other possession movies. On paper, you um, easily could, I think, especially like Last Exorcism or even um, like the Paranormal Activity movies. Mm -hmm. You could easily yeah. blend this together, but this stands alone. It truly does. Uh, even I think the closest thing to it is probably As Above, So Below. Oh, yeah. That's a yeah. really good call. Absolutely. That's that's a really good call. Um, I think we might have. So I think we toyed around with the idea of maybe doing that one and the descent. Yes. To pair. But that's those didn't feel quite on theme. Because it is like, oh, uh, underground. There's there's more to this movie than just underground. In fact, most there's of it lot most of it is not underground. Exactly. Right. So I think that's what stopped us from going that way. But um, yeah, it, it just uh, Dustin. I know how much you love um, the Conjuring series, and um, but I get those movies really mixed up with insidious it's easy to do and with it, it like just the whole james wanaverse yeah I, I, all those movies bleed together really hard for me sure um, so i know i've seen a lot of them but i have a really hard time telling you what's what from which movie yeah it's just getting harder and harder from dead silence to malignant there is there is a lot to confuse there and they all have, have similar watched, titles you've seen malignant i did we talked about it last episode with george yeah josh and i are both huge fans what yes. did you think it, it wasn't my favorite oh! it wasn't my favorite now listen i get why you guys like it i do get it i get the whole giallo thing and i get the the wildness of it and the, the insanity of the twist and all that stuff but i'm one of those i don't know what to call it but i was i was sold one thing with the trailer which was a, a James Wan haunted house style movie i'm a huge fan of this all the way back to amityville and before that even these haunted house movies uh and i just thought it was going to be a woman dealing with some sort of paranormal haunted house some situation like that but instead i got what felt like an inept matrix sort of dark city <laughs> uh thing with a twist that I didn't really, I thought it was, I thought it was fine, but it did not blow my mind. And I, I did not want an action movie. And I thought it wasn't particularly, I don't want to trash this movie too much. Cause I, I do get why you people love it. I really do. And I think maybe in the future I'll feel better about it, but I just felt a little bit betrayed by you see James Wan and you see these trailers and you see that poster and you think it's one thing. And I just, you know, it just, it just didn't do exactly what I thought. And, and I think pretty much what I can sum it up for you pretty quickly. When I watched it with my wife and in the first 
10 minutes, that whole intro bit, you, the camera zooms in and the lady says, it's time to cut out the cancer. And my wife, my wife goes, now it's going to zoom out. And someone was watching that on TV, right? Like that's not reality in this movie. That's reality. This whole heightened, dumb, these performances are so over the top. And I get, again, like that's a reason to love it. But I just walked away not too happy about it. So that's just me. It's just personal taste. It's not a bad movie. I think it's probably a good movie, but just a personal taste thing. That's all. I don't watch trailers. So I went into this okay. like I do all movies. Just the only thing I knew is like people were saying the first hour is boring and then the movie goes bonkers and it's crazy and it's super fun. There was a lot of stuff I liked. A lot well, of visual stuff I, was, I liked. I, I was on board from the get-go with this one. And I think my problem with The Conjuring, I would like to go back and watch one and two. Having recently watched three, I know that's not a James Wan movie, so I'm not really going to count that Don't. against things. Yeah. yeah. I would like to watch one and two again, but I think what Malignant had that Conjuring does not have is... Um, a new metal a score. Sense of, a, a, <laughs> a sense of humor about itself. Oh, for sure. Conjuring, Conjuring movies are very serious, and I know... I love Patrick Wilson, Vera Farmiga. She's all right. But uh, they're really deadpan in those Conjuring movies. Like, I just, love it. I know, but there's nothing for me to latch on to emotionally. And so these movies are just like so flat, it, like emotionally. I think there's good spooks and stuff. And like James Wan is excellent at the spooks. Yeah, you're not kidding. But it's just too self serious. So this one, the fact that like, off right off the bat it's just like rocket ship to stupid town <laughs> it's just like, I, I think I'm, the gif, i am on board for this the one. gif of the chair across the room is like sums up the whole the whole thing yes yeah yeah so um okay that was our malignant talk i can't wait to talk about it again with next week's guest <laughs> talk to me about malignant in 10 years and we'll see maybe i'll change we'll my mind right, we'll have you on for our what would that be like five no like 200 70th episode or something there we go so but for our 11th episode we're talking about the borderlands and so this starts off with some found footage as the whole movie is in a place called belem brazil uh we have some police officers at a church and they are looking around investigating for the source of a potential miracle and we see them stripping the things uh, around the church and they pull a speaker out from behind a brick wall. We there are then shown Deacon, and Deacon yells at the cameraman to get him off camera. Deacon is our lead character. He is played by not Donald Pleasance. That's a different movie. Oh boy, <laughs> Deacon. Deacon. Oh man, I could imagine Donald Pleasance in this. Uh, Deacon is played by Gordon Kennedy, who I think is excellent. pretty outstanding excellent. in this movie. He he carries this thing. And his performance, I, I buy into it. This is like a flawed man, but still a man that I would want to put my trust into and that I would want to, to follow. Almost like a R.J. McReady from The Thing kind of character. Like the, the reluctant leader or the guy that doesn't want to do the right thing, but he's forced to kind of. Um, and there's, there's a lot there to his performance. That's I'm amazed that um, 
this Gordon Kennedy only has like half a dozen or so film credits. Um, he's got quite a few television credits, but a lot of those are one-off episodes where he's not like main cast for most of these shows. Um, he was the narrator for Kitchen Nightmares from 2010 to 2012. Oh. So I think, there you go. yeah. I have seen Tank 432, which he's in, mm -hmm. which felt like a Black Mirror episode, but stretched 15 minutes longer. Um, it was okay. It's funny that they call it Tank because it's about troops that get like stuck inside an APC. So it's not a tank at all. Mm -hmm. They're in the uh, tank, man. It's a tank, like a person, like a fish tank. Uh, <laughs> there you go. See? Right. You, you, you changed my mind. And he's in Train Spotting 2, which I didn't see Train Spotting 2. I, I haven't seen the first one in a long time. I didn't see the second one. I remember liking yeah, it. Yeah, I like the first one, but it's been a long time. Josh, did you see the second? I have not, although uh, I know you're not a trailer guy, but it's got a great trailer. I feel like I don't have to watch the movie because I saw the trailer and it gives me a kind of a good, good nostalgic feeling. And uh, then I was done with it. <laughs> so the trailer did too good of a job selling you the movie to the point where you felt completely satisfied and you did not actually need the movie. So I have a hard time watching things that I think that I'm going to like sometimes. How's that? <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that I feel like... I'm going to like it. I'm going to enjoy the process. And there's not a lot of surprise to it, but there's also not the nostalgic comfort feeling of going back to something like Prince of Darkness or any of the Halloween or Friday the 13th movies where, you know, we use it all the time, but it's cozy comfort viewing for those. Um, and then there's these things that I like or I'm going to like, but are not surprising and don't bring anything new to the table. But I kind of feel like they're going to be OK. I have a hard time watching those. I want something like Malignant that is insane and swings for the fences even when I don't like it. I, I want something that's going to take big risks. I like to be challenged a little bit sometimes, yeah. Yes. So it's hard to find that kind of middle ground uh, viewing time for me. I find strange comfort in watching... Like, I don't like mediocrity, but there is comfort in it sometimes. Like I recently watched Escape Room 2 Tournament mm -hmm. of Champions. I knew exactly what I was going to get. And I was completely fine with it. It's like a grilled cheese sandwich. <laughs> it's yes. like plain Jane, but still it goes down nice and it's satisfying. Cool. So uh, <laughs> this movie, they at the beginning, they basically found the the relics of how someone put together a fake haunting or a fake miracle with the speakers and a, a tape player that plays some creepy chanting music. Um, and then uh, we get Deacon saying how everyone has disappeared. And he tells the camera operator to stop filming him. Uh, and it's super intense. Like, he's yelling. He's introduced yelling, basically. Uh, the other movie that this made me think of was Session 9. Oh, yes. Oh, I think you could pair them together quite well. Yeah. I, got I hadn't actually really put those together. Yeah, that yeah, that totally works because this not much really happens in this movie. Yeah, until the end, but I'm still with it the whole way. Mm -hmm. Uh, this title card's awesome. The fog rolling over the hills, and there's a couple of establishing shots with the fog and these long English countryside shots. 
And the fog looks like a presence with how it's presented in a time lapse. Mm -hmm. It looks like this like billowing living thing over the land. Yeah, the way it comes over the mountains. Um, Sean, did you ever see that? Like when you were in Colorado, uh, did you ever see it coming across the plains or coming across over the mountains like that? Oh, yeah. I, I lived in Boulder for a bit, so you're right up against the flat irons there. Okay. And so you get weather changes that happen in 15 minutes, drastic weather changes. And so, yeah, sometimes it'll come pouring over the side of the mountain mm -hmm. or vice versa. You know, it'll it'll hit the mountain and kind of wash back on itself. Um, the weather there was really wild. Everyone knew that, like, no matter where you went, you always needed a jacket. And like, there was always potential for rain mm -hmm. or you would go out in shorts and it would drop 20 degrees in an hour. Yeah. That's, we were in Colorado Springs, which is like right on the, right between the mountain and the desert, essentially. One way it's flat for most of America and the other way it's straight up Pikes Peak. And that was the, the widest weather swings that I've ever had living there. But some of the prettiest stuff too, like in this. Oh, yeah. Where it looks like a, um, we talked about it in our Poltergeist uh, uh, 2 episode, where they used a cloud tank technique to create a lot of the clouds and fog in that movie. And that's what this looks like. Like, it looks like it's man-made or designed to be creepy. But no, that's just how nature be. That's just how it do. It do be like that. Yes. Sometimes. <laughs> um. I love we get introduced to uh, Gray through a POV shot from a head-mounted camera as he sorts out his gear for this shoot that they got coming up. Um, we see him mounting cameras around the house, and then he sits down at the kitchen table and downs a sugar packet and a Red Bull chaser. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Typical tech dude. Yes. As if Red Bull doesn't taste awful enough you need just pure sugar i uh-huh th this was more concerning to me <laughs> than the potential of being consumed and he's smoking a, like uh, crazy too oh yeah his poor yeah, heart and, uh, filterless <laughs> yeah he hand rolled when cigarettes. i wanted to when i wanted to get better at rolling joints i was like well that's like a waste of weed and it's so expensive I was smoking cigarettes at the time, so I'm like, well, I'll, I'll start rolling my own cigarettes, and that way like, I'll get better, and it's super cheap. My fingers were orange within, like, a week and a half. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is not, this is not good. <laughs> um, yeah, so we get Graham, or, sorry, Gray, showing all the technology. He says there's no Wi-Fi, no broadband, no cable. It's basically the Middle Ages. Um, somebody keeps calling Gray as we go along, and it seems to be the, um, whoever hired him for this job, or somebody from the church, potentially, because they're asking if Deacon is drunk, and they seem to be constantly kind of checking to see if Deacon is handling his shit, or if he's losing it. So, when we're introduced to Deacon, like, he just seems to be grumpy, and we're not quite sure why, um... He doesn't seem to want to wear his head-mounted camera, um, but Gray explains, like, they do a lot of this via pretty naturalistic dialogue, ver the validity of why the cameras keep rolling, which is always the toughest hurdle yes. to get over in, in a, a found, found footage, footage movie. movie. Yeah, yep. it's always like, well, why would you still be filming? 
But yep. they, they do a pretty serviceable job here of it's a pretty good explanation of why they have yeah. to keep keep rolling. So, yeah, yes. I, I buy it. I buy it well enough. It's fine. So they're... I like it. Yeah. Even later when I, I don't question it when they go into a bar or something I'm like, guys, I think at this point, nothing demonic is going to happen. You could probably turn the cameras off. Yeah. Um, they have been sent to this town to uh, investigate. All we know is something spooky at this point um, in this tiny little out of the way town. And uh, this is this is where early on you see Gray practicing card tricks, uh, just like Mustache from the previous movie. Uh, he's a chipper dude. He's kind of goofy. Deacon, um, Deacon is hard to draw a bead on, and Wikipedia refers to him as a skeptical religious brother, uh, which I thought was like that helped me <laughs> because. <laughs> They take most of the movie to like fully explain his deal, but I think off the jump it helps to know that. I like when they get when Gray gets Deacon kitted out and mm -hmm. suited up. He says he's been promoted to a tripod. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gray gets some good ones in here. I feel yes, like he does. Yeah, they go on a drive into town. Gray says he can't imagine this being the site of Arthurian legend. Yeah, Gray is excited to weird see weird shit. Deacon says, don't get your hopes up. They get back home after a day of shopping. Deacon is seemingly only bought booze. Um, and then they kind of buzzle. They, they kind of bond a little here over a puzzle and over mispronouncing the word balcone or something. But uh, we just see them slowly come together very quickly. Uh, they're smoking cigarettes outside and they notice that the church bells are ringing and they say, it's a little late for church bells, don't you think? Mm -hmm. I think I think the relationship between Gray and Deacon in this movie is like one of its major strengths. Uh, you have very few er characters and actors in this movie, and so the ones you do get, you get a pretty good performance out of them, and 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 it does work. You they at the beginning they don't really get along, um, and they don't. I don't know if they ever fully get there. I don't want to spoil it for now, but. Um, it really does. It it does work. It feels natural. It feels real. Like there's a lot of that naturalism in this movie that it, it's a strength. I think it's a strength of this movie. Robin Hill plays Gray, and he doesn't even have a link on Wikipedia that I can click on. <laughs> he seems like a real tech guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he is. I think his performance is good because he is annoying. And he's a pain in the ass, and he's just like everything that you don't like about annoying tech bros at the start of it but in that i do think his performance is pretty good there there's a, a rough patch or two here or there near the beginning i but, agree yeah but for the most part yeah especially i think as it progresses he he settles into the role more um and it, it becomes more natural in the beginning there are some like forced joke lines that he says and stuff that feel pretty stilted but Again, yeah, like the fact that this guy is a no-name actor, um, the naturalism that comes out of this is pretty surprising and impressive. Uh, there's supposed to be a third man in their crew, and you really get to see, once he does get introduced, I think it really strengthen, strengthens the bond between the first two that we met, because now they have an adversary uh, with Father Mark Amidon. Uh, he's already late. And the two men decide to go up to 
this church and set up uh, Gray's equipment, but they get lost on the way. The GPS malfunctions, and they ask this local dude for directions, <laughs> uh, and he has no help. But as they pull away, Gray shouts at him, "Good luck with Edward Woodward," which is a reference to uh, the Wicker Man. Which yep. I was oh, like, funny. It's, it's very good. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I did not understand that one. That's a really funny line. Yeah. I thought, do you guys have a history with the Wicker Man and uh, that vein of folk horror at all? Oh yeah, both of them. Uh, nice. <laughs> I saw the yeah, I saw I've... the Cage one in the theater like three times. <laughs> That's oh, amazing. Yeah. Bless you, I Dustin. Yeah. You're a good person. <laughs> That's what makes me a good person. <laughs> yeah. That. That's the thing. That's the thing. Yeah. Uh, I've seen the original Wicker Man one time mm-hmm. and thought it was excellent. It is. Um. Honestly, I would like to watch more folk horror. The the things that are jumping to mind right now are um, Ben Wheatley's Kill List, by yes. far his best movie. Recently saw uh, that for the first time. Oh my woo. god, <laughs> that movie's killer. Yeah. Um, and the other one is, uh, was it Apostle the on Netflix? Netflix? Yes, that movie. Yep. Yeah, it's like the Bioshock movie we never got. It's super good. There's a lot of there's a lot of. Uh, comparisons to be made to bioshock in my opinion and that I, movie is surprisingly good that movie is very good yeah absolutely and who's the lead dan stevens i think um he's in a lot of stuff now but uh yeah if, if you haven't seen either of those movies i would like to talk about kill list at some point in the future if we want to do like a kill list wicker man or something that would be a fun episode um have either of you seen uh, Ben Wheatley's newest one from this last no, year? No, his this I what's it called? Field in Eng- I couldn't finish a field in England. Uh, I watched the one where there's like a bunch of people in an apartment, and it's like a satire. High rise, just yeah. He's uh, sightseers or tourists. I can't remember. Yeah. I think it was sightseers. sightseers. That one was pretty good. I thought. Um, but overall, he's been kind of slipping off my radar, to be honest. So uh, the the newest one, uh, In the Earth, was, I believe, my second movie back at the theaters right after I got vaccinated. And I went with uh, my friend Joe, who is not very adventurous in his movie going. <laughs> um, Joe's got a podcast, and he does great coverage of, like, they broke down all of the Lord of the Rings movies. Oh, I love that. Uh, Yes, they did the whole thing in detail. Uh, he forced himself to watch every extra on every disc oh, while they were talking about That's him. like a full-time job. God. Yes. Yeah, it was legitimately like 40 hours <laughs> of content Oof. for just maybe just the preview or the uh, the prequel trilogy. Uh, I remember I him, that's him gotta be That's got to be hundreds of hours when all is said and done, I'd yeah. feel. Yeah. Uh, but the In the Earth... It's gets psychedelic and its story is minimal and there's a few gruesome moments in it, but it very much fits in the folk horror uh, vein of there's something in the earth. <laughs> and was, there was one a couple of years ago. I'm going to feel so dumb um, where the guy they're dealing with some trauma and they go on a trip to Scandinavian woods. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ritual. The ritual. Yes. That was that also another pretty good one. A really good I one. Just, I just checked that book out from the library, actually, because I've read something else by that author 
And I hear the book is oh, better than the movie. Yes, which also fits perfectly with this movie. His yeah. other book. Oh, The Last Days? Yes. Because that's all about, yeah, found footage. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. I, I literally just read the passage where they go to the old rundown church. Wow. Uh, yeah. It, oh, yeah. It, they're, like, Look they're at that. It's all it. coming together in some kind of weird synchronicity. <laughs> but that's just nature, you know? And you know what else is just nature? Uh, dogs killing rabbits. Big stuff eats little stuff, as Gray says, as they watch this dog mm-hmm. killing a rabbit on their way to the church. They go up to the church, and there's Father Krellick inside. He's giving a sermon. I didn't quite catch what he was saying. It was something about uh, the blood of Christ and the body. Uh, I don't know if you guys had anything here. Yeah, he's talking about the transubstantiation and it being a literal factual thing that once a priest broke open a loaf of bread and said, this is the blood or this is the flesh of Christ, that it literally became flesh. Um, which really he's delivering this very loudly to two parishioners who yes. are sitting in, in the church. It's your first and, indication that maybe Krellick might be taking things a little too seriously. Yes. Too literal. Maybe. <laughs> yep. It feels it feels like it's a haunted already. Uh, he's giving a sermon to ghosts. Mm-hmm. It it really feels like that. And if that ended up being the twist, it would have felt appropriate. You're right. So, uh, Krellick walks outside with them and um, shows them a video. And the video is of a baptism. And as Krellick is performing the baptism, the idols and candles fall off the altar. Uh, Krellick's nose starts to bleed and then we get some camera artifacts and glitches and stuff which really reminded me Josh of Noroi yes um, and I'm pretty sure I actually watched both of these during the same marathon which is it's a lot of found footage that might have been our theme that year because we bookend with two movies uh, my movies for the later in the month for the uh, girly, and Dis- girly discord uh growing rust discord um the wnuf uh, halloween special love it and so ghost good. watch ghost watch yes i'm i'm excited to watch ghost watch because we've talked have about you seen it, before, it but no dustin go ahead bring it up i no i don't want to say anything you have to no, watch it's it so well, good it's you so have to good. watch it it's honestly and and everything about it and if you read about it i'm you just got me so excited to think about ghost watch <laughs> i love ghost watch Yes. <laughs> so I know I know the basics. So mm-hmm. feel free. Like I know it's like ghost hunters, and it was presented as a real thing. There was no indication pres- that this wasn't real. And right? it's aired. They broadcasted live. live, and some it, it resulted in a death, a real life death. Uh, it was a real deal. It was. It, it's amazing. Please watch Ghost Watch. I don't want to yes. say anything about it. Just watch Ghost Watch. Well, uh, can you tell me about no, the death? No, I'm not telling you anything. <laughs> Get on Wikipedia. Damn it, Dustin. We'll have to get you back on the show. All right. But that, that is my double feature for, for Spooky Month. Um, and I totally stole it from one of our marathons because we bookended the marathon with those two movies. And it was like just the perfect way in and out of watching a whole bunch of horror is watching those two movies. Uh, they're, oh, God, those are both so good. Yeah, I absolutely <laughs> so agree. I think this year these might have been our bookend movies and we did found footage as our, as our theme. Found footage movies, 
they go down easy for me, man. I mm-hmm. don't know. It's even if they're bad, I find them pretty watchable. I'm mostly into them, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, Gray is installing cameras inside the church. Uh, afterward, Gray and Deacon go to a bar. They weigh their cameras inside the bar. Gray brings up the video. Gray believes the baptism video that they've been shown, but Deacon is skeptical. Gray brings up a stigmata case and says that you can't fake that. Deacon responds that the mother was cutting the child who had stigmata, cutting her hands and feet daily. The child died of blood infection a few weeks later, and the mother told then Deacon that now you can make her a saint. Uh, That little dark, heavy shit, man. Brutal. That that was heartbreaking, and just seeing Deacon's response to it, like that he is such a feeling, caring person, uh, also hurts. Um, also in here, we get the first group of, uh, or the first sighting of the damn youths, as I called them. <laughs> uh, we get a bunch of youths in hoodies who seemingly emanate techno music from themselves as they, they exist. They do. Uh, yeah. They totally reminded me of the kids from Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz. <laughs> what do they say? He's like, he's like standing around loitering, sitting, yes. <laughs> sitting. <laughs> this dog muck and dirty jugglers. We'll be up to our balls and jugglers. Wait, jugglers. <laughs> jugglers? Jugglers. <laughs> I guess we all got to watch Hot Fuzz together. I've huh? seen it so many times. God. Uh, back, at the, back at the house. Father Amadon, or Mark, as he says to call him, has shown up. And this dude's a real stick in the mud. Um, he's immediately, like, nothing is by the book enough for him. Uh, the men sit down to dinner, and they hear some creepy sounds from outside. And this whole thing, to me, is freakishly disturbing. Yes. Like, I don't know if scary is the right term, but it's disturbing and off-putting. It seems like a real-life thing that could happen. Yes. It seems yes. real. When, I mean, th- that's the whole thing about this movie, though. It all feels pretty authentic. Yeah. Yeah, uh, this, this felt specifically like something that small town... You would hear about something like this happen. happening, yes. Yeah. Yep. So they go outside, and there's a sheep that has been lit on fire and is screaming. And uh, Deacon runs over with a knife and euthanizes this poor animal and has blood all over his hands and goes back inside the house. I do like, from the beginning here, um, we see Deacon jumping to action. Like, this is an important character trait that uh, I think really kind of puts some things into perspective later. Yeah, mainly he wants to sit around and drink, but then when he has to, he jumped, like you said, he jumps into action and he solves something. I want to go back a second. There was something in this movie that stuck with me forever. When I, every time I thought back to this movie over the years, I thought of this one moment. And it's such, such a small thing, but it's the first time they go to the church and they see all the tape strung all over everything. Oh, yeah. And it's that, oh, he's like, what is that? Why do they do that? And he's like, oh, it's kids' satanic messages on tape and they string it around and they think that there's some power in that or something. For whatever reason, that concept really stuck in my in my mind, and I just I really love that. Just that little touch that that's just a little extra flavor that this movie needs to kind of stand above the rest, and and it really helps. Be honest, have you taken a Judas Priest tape and strewn it around the <laughs> field of a church and hidden it? I would love to if you want. I'll go right now. It's like 
It's like a really Judas lame... Priest <laughs> of all things. It's like a really lame black metal church burning. Yeah. You just spread Judas Priest cassette tape around. <laughs> yeah. That'll show them. Um, after this, we get, I call it the paranormal activity style shot. Mm -hmm. We just get some long, empty shots of the empty church. That is and good stuff. It's really good. And this was definitely like, this was what I loved about session nine. And again, just, just show me empty, scary locations. You don't have to even do anything with them. Just put me in that place and mm -hmm. let me get a feel for it. Let my eyes kind do the like looking around. And yeah, it's like your eyes are just like trying to find, what is it? What is it? Where yeah. is it? And it's nothing. <laughs> Krellick walks in and he has a lantern. Woo, the lighting coming off of this lantern in this pitch black church looks so cool. And he approaches the altar and he prays to God to show himself again. And I love that when he moves, it's like the the footage glitches and artifacts, but only in the wake of where he was. And like it gets that smeary kind of digital digitized look that just reminds you that this is found footage and it makes it feel too real so much of the time yeah some of the artifacting remind me of like video game glitches yeah where it's like 10 percent of it looks okay but if you look off your peripheral on either side you see all this like crazy geometry that warps as you move your character yep. and it's like not normal video camera artifacting it seems focused sometimes yeah it's yes. interesting yeah um which once again Definitely made me think of Norroi when they, whenever they get into anything where the curse is specifically affecting stuff. Um, back at the cabin, the lads are having a hard time sleeping, and Deacon starts studying the church records. And the last priest that was there was from the 1880s, and was called there by a dream, another connection, uh, wherein uh -huh. God appeared to him and told him to go to this place and open an orphanage. Mandeville. So weird. Yeah. In the year 1899. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next day at the church, Father Krellick welcomes the crew. Uh, uh, Mark tells him that maybe he should take a few days off. Uh, they're going to need access to the whole place. And Deacon and Mark are like super skeptical about the occurrence. And Gray seems to accept that something weird happened to that baptism. Because uh, Gray lives in a gray area. Ooh. Interesting. He kind of believes in stuff, just not as much as they do. Yes. That's a, yeah. That's, that's a, I hadn't thought about the naming. That's good. That's very good. And once again, both of these movies are like explicitly about the idea of um, belief or faith versus uh, having scientific proof for something. And what happens to the people who ne aren't necessarily believers? Like they get swept along, w along the path with the occurrence anyway. It doesn't matter if you believe in it or not. This shit is going to happen to you. Yeah, I think that's like a lot of Carpenter's movies is kind of like, like it or not, the shape is coming. The thing is coming. Like it, it doesn't matter how you feel in this nihilistic way this thing's coming for you whether you like it or not and in this in this movie it's kind of like the arguments later that mark and deacon get into over like what it is or what it isn't 
it doesn't matter what labels you guys try to put on it because you're not going to be able to understand it either way. This is something so far beyond you that regardless of what you do or what you think, it doesn't matter. It's going to, whatever's going to happen, it's going to happen. Yeah. The, for me, the comparison to, of both of these to folk or Lovecraftian horror is very apt. Like the idea that there's something older and bigger than your conception is and it's out there and it's coming for you. Um, I mean, it also draws to mind the idea of having to face your own mortality and the things that happen to you in life that you actually don't see coming either. And I think it's, that's how horror works so much of the time for me is as a metaphor for these other things that you actually do encounter because in normal life, you know, the random car crash that happens is the most horrifying thing, you know? And I feel like this is like these movies, these kinds of stories are a great way to work through that. Very well said. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so this is one of the weakest parts of the movie. They're exploring around the church. Deacon hears a noise. We go to his first person and gray is hiding behind a pew and jumps out and jump scares us it's yes cheap. it's cheap it's cheap and they play it as cheap they know it's cheap I, it doesn't annoy me as much but it's still annoying that it's there it's nice to break up the tension because this movie is mainly like just dread you know it so. is and i do feel like gray would be the type of person to not be taking this seriously at the time so it works even though it's cheap and kind of annoys me um we do gray get goes out oh i was Sorry, gonna go say ahead, right Josh. here we get um and I hesitate to call it a scare, but it's my favorite scare of the movie. Um, when Gray, this is when he's on the phone outside, uh, and then the video glitches and the call drops, and he kind of shrugs it off. And then he is making himself a hand rolled cigarette. And as he's looking down, one of the headstones has his name on it. Yes, blinking, you'll miss it. <laughs> yes. Oh, wait, okay. Yeah. I. Th- thought i saw that but then when it comes back the name is not gray it's no, grace it's yes James. second it's on his. second watch yeah i thought i imagined that no nope. oh, that's awesome <laughs> it's so that's cool awesome that i thought you were going to talk about this part because this part i loved this next part while gray is smoking he hears a noise and it seems to be emanating from what looks like a sarcophagus a really large stone yeah and when he touches the stone the low, deep humming stops. And as soon as he takes his hand away, it starts again. And this is something that's not pulled. They don't come back to this. It's just like an unsettling thing that feels like a cosmic mystery and something that you should not be near. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love We Mark does see it earlier or later and then kind of brushes it off and walks away again. You just see a quick shot of him turning that corner looking for the source of something and then he turns away and i think it's just a sign of like even though gray is the layman he's the one who's tuned into what's going on yeah he's he's the first one to actually kind of buy into that there's something weird going on there's a bit more subtlety to this movie than say prince of darkness where yes you, know, you have pleasance doing these amazing monologues and just showing you everything basically but yeah no i i think the subtlety is again another huge strength of this movie and maybe also a reason why some people maybe would see it and just kind of brush it off. 
maybe mm-hmm. they didn't catch catch some of the stuff that just again adds that flavor to this movie that makes it so unique and and and, and special. But there's I watched it recently with a group watch along on the Discord and this movie does require you to pay attention because there's a lot of little one-liners in the dialogue or in the background information that's really important yep. but it's not played as such at the time but just little stuff that you can catch that will have pretty big dividends later on as we see yeah nobody gets blasted in the face with green goop in this one <laughs> but there's room for both kinds of cinema in my yeah, heart there's still some goop yeah, it gets goopy worms huh? baby um, <laughs> mark looks behind a plastic curtain because he can hear something back there something knocks him down and his ears are bleeding. Uh, they Gray gets um, Gray says that he's been recruited just as a tech job. They asked him if he's a believer, um, and he said that he felt a presence in the church. And this is where we get the story time from Deacon. Yes, back to the introduction of the movie. So as we saw, there's a church in Brazil in Belém. Belém is uh, means Bethlehem in English. There's a line of waiting, of sick people waiting outside the shrine to get healed. Deacon says they might have seen God. There's a Vatican team there to investigate. There's seven priests, and they turn up in the jungle days later after they disappear. They were found to have some kind of chemical in their blood. Deacon thinks it was DMT that they had been using or had been doped with and that they had discovered and that the locals had dumped their bodies or maybe they actually saw God. This part kind of, the DMT part really (laughs) perplexed me. Yeah. Uh, I doubt you guys have smoked DMT. I inhaled it from a vape pen once. But did not, with DMT, a lot of times you have to, like, hit, exhale, hit, exhale. And, like, they say basically keep hitting until you can no longer see. Keep hitting until you see God, right? And and that's how you know that you've broken through. And so I didn't do that. And so for me, it just, like, things kind of got visual and fractal. But, like, still, like, where I was in my backyard. So I did not have what they call a breakthrough. And that's why they call it the God particle, is because when you break through that wall, that barrier, it's then said that you're supposed to experience God or a creation or a peek behind the curtain of the universe and of the cosmos or something along those lines. So, how could you, I mean, could you be dosed with it? in order to have this kind of experience, do you think? Like, and... No, because I'm pretty sure you have to smoke it. Okay. Knowingly. This was like, like a to, Google? The director you Googled to, it? You, and it's not the kind of smoking where you could, like, waft it into a room. Um, you need a pretty concentrated, like, bong rip or pipe hit yeah. of it. To, you need, like, a shotgun blast kind of a hit to really take off. Well, so... And His lie didn't make sense to me. Well, and that's what I was thinking. Like, it could easily be easily be proved, like even at this point, by a, a more curious mind that that's that part's false. That there is was something else at work there. 
and not just that the locals had dosed them. Oh, that's an interesting way to think about it. Yeah, you might be right. Yeah. And so after this, we get a magic trick. Oh, yeah. yes. I like that. <laughs> Deacon has Mark or Gray hold the beer bottle and somehow slaps his hand and the bottle cap gets inside the bottle. I was kind of wishing that this was actually a real trick and that the movie would teach me how to do this with my <laughs> friends. But no such luck. Um, And is this where we get more nighttime footage from the church? There's creepy sounds. Uh, Father Krellick is like chanting or praying. Yes, and he hears yeah. a noise. Yeah, There's big rumbling in the church as he's praying again by lantern. But this Doors is... Doors start opening. Yes, this part is so effective because... Yeah. Before anything starts moving, he's like in way in the back of the shot. It's I mean, everything is in focus, so there's not really like a background, essentially. But you can't really tell what he's doing. Like there's shadows kind of falling across his body as he's moving back and forth. And so for me, I lean into that center point, even though I was watching it on the TV like far away. I still like all my focus was right there. And I'm like drawn into figuring out what he's doing. And then from the side, things start moving. And it's like, it really works as yeah. far as, you know, a very effective scare, I feel like. Yeah. And there's that ambient, there's just that like evil drone that's happening the whole time. Mm -hmm. I just, I just love it. The sound design is, is pretty key as well here. Yeah. The, there's more bells ringing, um, which to be clear, this church does not have a bell tower. It has a tower but not a bell tower, I think. Mm. So, I was really impressed with the sound design level on this movie. I watched it with a 5.1 speaker setup, and it, it's pretty cool what they do with the rear speakers sometimes and getting that three-dimensional effect, especially coming up later as they start messing with some uh, microphones and yeah. stuff. The sound is doing some heavy lifting. I, yeah, especially the, the production scene. quality was higher than I thought it would be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, once again, for a film that looks fairly artless, there's a lot of subtlety going on with it. Like, it literally just looks like these guys are actually in this space moving around without any extra lights or anything else set up for them. Yep. So, um, a bunch of doors open, the idols are falling off the table again. Um, I don't remember how how we cut to the next thing here after Krellick's scene. I don't either, because my next note is that Deacon has gotten to the end of the former priest's diary. Um, um, I have the same note. Yeah. It, it goes on saying that the priest was tricked in coming to this place. He sees the hideous logic of the orphanage now. And then there's a weird pagan symbol drawn on the page. Uh, and he ends his diary by saying, I may have a new master now. The town is a facade. He lives beneath. He's hungry for souls. Do it like Loomis. <laughs> the town is a facade. He lives beneath. He's hungry for souls. Yes. That's pretty good. It's gotten oh. better, I think, as the episode's gone on. Uh, Deacon and Gray wake up the next morning. Mark's ears are bleeding, and he won't wake up. So they just say whatever and leave him in He's there. fine. He'll sleep it off. Just sleep it off. Yeah, the walk will do him good. And I'm like, this man has suffered a serious head injury and you want him to walk to the church? <laughs> mm -hmm. And this is where 
they're really trying to pinpoint the sounds now that they're hearing inside the church. And so Gray has multiple microphones that you can set up with radio frequency somehow. And then you can set, uh, scan around and pinpoint with triangulation, essentially, with the microphones where sounds are coming from. This is a very smart and, sequence. I like this a lot. Yeah, this was yeah. really cool. What do you think of this, Dustin? Yeah, the, the way they do this and you get that, you know, the receiver and you can tune the knob to, to tune to a specific microphone. Therefore, you can track where the sound is coming from. And what that implies about what's happening and where the sounds are coming from, it's creepy. And the sounds you're getting are creepy. And you hear the baby crying and or the child screaming or whatever that is. And when you get all that, then that is turned off. And then you get yet another noise. And they're like, that wasn't even coming from one of those microphones. It's it's just like scare, scare, scare. It's, it's just chilling. It is. It, it's so smartly made and well-designed. Uh, and... Once again, I feel like they baffled me with the the explanation just enough that everything goes down really easily. Like, I don't really have to understand how the whole kit works, but it's a cool piece of gear that he's busted out. And he's like, he says, if a poltergeist farted in this room six months ago, we can hear it. <laughs> That's a great line. Yeah. So and the scene was so cool, though, because as they scanned from microphone to microphone, my speakers were popping. So oh, as cool. they switched, yeah. they would go from the front left of the room to the back to then microphone two, the one where you really hear shit, is in the front right. And so I'm just getting this complete sonic experience around me. You're literally experiencing what the characters are experiencing. It's awesome. Yeah. It's it, it's so cool. Um so yeah, at this point, Deacon sees Krellick run around the corner, he's outside the building. Deacon thinks Krellick is up to something nefarious so he runs after to chase him this is when mark tells gray that it's just a baby monitor that's interfering with him and mark says yeah but the machines are off there are no microphones picking that up we're just hearing that with our ears right now yeah uh mark follows krellick into the uh into the tower and up which and that looks precarious as hell like yes the ladder leaning up against the wall and everything. I don't like this it. No. This reminded me of um what's the Hitchcock one? Vertigo. Vertigo, yeah. Vertigo, yeah. Yeah, um and I just love the cuz it intercuts between the guys once again and you get Krellick up at the top and I don't know how they did this if they just got lucky, but the sky looks like it's coming down on the on that poor man like all of the clouds look like they're weighing on his shoulders practically and the wind is blowing so hard and it's blowing his hair back and we never see his face again you just see that and it creates like this halo kind of around his head and he says you don't believe in my miracle do you and it's just like oh god you feel this man's weight right now you feel his terror too because he says if you don't believe if this is not of God, like, what have I been worshipping? Yes. And at yeah. this point, we get a cross cut where um, the crucifix, the crucifix downstairs with Christ on it falls off the wall. Shatters. The, the bells start to ring. Mark looks away. And when he looks back, Krellick has gone over the edge and jumped. That's a great shot, too. Because you, like, cool you just see his robe. You just see the robe go over. Yeah. 
It's a great way to do the pan and to get the effect. Yeah. Did you guys think Krillic, I, I don't know what, this is just an odd thought I had, but Krillic had slightly Carrie Elway's energy just a little bit. Maybe that's just me. Just, just, a, just, a, just, a, just a smidge, just a touch. But there was something about him, that actor. I need to look into him and see what. Uh, yeah, strawberry blonde, uh, a little bit vulnerable. I, I see it. Uh, um, but so he's manic another... the whole time. Yeah, which I've yeah. never seen Carrie Elwes in. I mean, in Saw, I guess is the closest he gets to that oh, energy. He's manic AF. Yes. <laughs> um. Yeah, Deacon gives. Father Krellick has last rites. Um, we have a fog transition over the fields. Another awesome establishing shot. As they're walking around the churchyard, Gray is concerned that Krellick has committed a mortal sin, and Deacon confirms that suicide is a mortal sin, and the punishment is hell. Um, one of my favorite scenes coming up next, they head back into town, and the Chav kids are outside again. But this time they start mocking them, making sheep noises. Oh, yeah. And so Deacon walks up and punches one kid straight in the face. <laughs> it feels good, I have to say. So yeah. satisfying. <laughs> you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't no. resort to violence. But man, it felt good. <laughs> That's uh, Gray tries to like talk him down. And Deacon is like... They just saw a man jump to his death, or the, the witness the, the after effects of it. Um, but Deacon is like really taking things really heavily and seriously. Um, and he has remained kind of a mystery up to this point. And I love that he does, he seems to be, his actions, reactions seem to be too big. His emotions are too big for what's happening, kind of this the whole way down this line. And when we finally find it out, it makes sense and it puts him in a new context and i think that's so well done in in a found footage movie like you don't get that a lot yeah, in these no, movies you don't you get would character not, beats. You would never no yeah it's no. so that's well said yeah there deacon's explanation isn't given until two-thirds into the movie yeah but then going back and rewatch yeah that's really good it's almost like it wasn't written to be found footage but it's sort of it was adapted quite mm -hmm. well Maybe. I don't know. Um, Deacon and Gray are in the pub and they talk about uh, modern religion versus pagan beliefs. But they can... Mark might want to hide his head in the sand, but you... You know better. I know you do. What we saw up there... Deacon, what we saw up there was not normal. It was not fucking normal. Eh? Well, the people that came before you lot, right? Pagans. Yeah, all right, the pagans, the druids, the Aztecs, whoever, they believed in stuff that was real. You know, they had the moon, the sea, the stars, the sun. They they stuff, they worshipped stuff. They didn't know any better. They were just worshipping what was in front of them. No, they worshipped what was there, physically there. Whereas you are choosing to believe and worship the great what-if. What a great way to put it, also. Uh -huh. The great what if. Uh, yeah, Deacon does not look happy about, about Gray's theory that paganism might be more validated. Yeah. Uh, uh, locals get ornery and kick them out of the bar, even though it's well before closing time. 
Uh, Deacon, again, Josh, like you said, is going to overreact. Gray has to stop him from getting jumped by all of the locals in the town. Mm-hmm. Um, How about this? When they go back to the cottage and Mark is just standing there, yeah. like, in the room. It's so weird. What the hell was he doing? He's just waiting like Concussed, a disapproving parent. Like when you come home Concussed too late. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what time it is? <laughs> uh, he, Mark tells the other men to pack up their gear that the investigation is over. He sent his report already. Um, this is where we get a little bit more because Deacon believes that the church is basically trying to cover its ass up now that there's a dead person and sweep everything under the rug. Uh, and he thinks they should go back up to the church and investigate some more, which Gray's kind of caught in the middle once again, and Deacon seems more adamant about his investigation than he has this whole time. Yeah, so adamant that he decides to go walk to the church the alone yeah. in middle of the night. This one's this the part of the movie where I got spooked. Yeah. Um he's approaching the church and first he sees on the grass hill he sees just a flash of Father Krellick up on the hill. And then he's approaching the church, and we haven't seen this before, but underneath the church, seemingly, is like an exposed um, basement or something. There's like stonework and some kind of entrance down there. Mm-hmm. And very low in the sound mix, you can hear, Deacon. Oh, can you? Whisper. Yeah. yeah. His reactions, yeah. too, are so good. As if you were really walking through the woods or whatever in the middle of the night and seeing those things. They seem so, again, it's the naturalism that makes this movie really, really work. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, his reactions are so good. Well, so that whisper set me on edge. And then he turns away from this. And that as he's going back up the hill, that's when we get the second flash of what looks like Father Krellick. And that part sent like chills down my spine. It's so quick. It's perfect. Because it was like the setup of the whisper and all the tension. And then, like, that volleyball spike of then just, like, that that one image to then hammer that nail down and to, like, set that chill in motion for me. Really good. Uh, is that, then after that, is then when he finds the robe on the ground yeah. uh, f- filled with worms? Like, yeah. when he goes to investigate that? Yeah. Yeah. Gross. Worms. Yeah. Which, again, worms being, like, the sign of the devil, just as in... Uh, Prince of Darkness. Uh huh. Bugs, man. And gross and Bugs, icky. man. <laughs> Just some evil, evil shit going on. Uh, Deacon gets jump scared by an aluminum can that he kicks as he's walking into the church. This, I can relate to this. Kicking something in the dark and scaring the shit out of yourself is absolutely <laughs> something I've done. Do, do your dogs leave bones or toys laying around? Not too bad. I have stepped on a rawhide bone once or twice in my life, and it's awful. Yes, it's, I experience this all the time, and it's either I step on one or I kick one, and it, like, clatters across the wooden floor, and, like, in the middle of the night, and I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> my, my blood pressure just shot up at that point. Deacon hears the baby crying again, but this time he's able to pinpoint the sound and he starts tearing books down, and behind this bookshelf, there's a hidden door that's been there the whole time, and he sees the same symbol from uh, the diary that he was reading before carved onto the door. He opens the door, there's bones at the top of the stairs, 
There's a deep rumbling, and then he hears, Oh God, Frazetti's eyes. Oh God, the eyes. The bells of the church start ringing, and he runs home in terror. So when he sees that skeleton, it threw me off for a second, because I thought it was a full-size human skeleton. Oh no. And then he reaches down, and his hand looks massive (laughs) next to it. Because it's just a it's a small skeleton. The twist is that they've been giants the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> um that was a fetal skeleton, was yeah. it not? Yep. That's yeah, okay. That's what I figured. Even though Mark later tells him that it's just animal bones, tries to play it See, off. That's, that's there's no way to what yeah. <laughs> that's what that's what put doubt into my mind, but I was like, no, that that looked very human to yep. me. Um the next morning we hear Deacon on the phone. He's talking to somebody in Italian. Mark is angry that he's reopened the investigation. Mark says this will be your last mission with the congregation. He will make sure of it. He doesn't know how true that is. Uh, we now drive to the airport to pick up Deacon's mentor, Father Calvino. Father Calvino. He rules. Yes. This guy Father is Father Calvino is your old school exorcist. Yes. And this is where we learn the the truth about what happened in Belim, which is that Deacon was in command of the the seven priest team, seven priest army, and Frizzetti <laughs> was the second in command. And the locals murdered the seven priests when they thought that their lie had been discovered, and Deacon was spared because he was most likely passed out drunk somewhere. Um, when Frizzetti had witnessed the carnage that had happened, he cut his own eyes out. So, the way he told the story, I still don't have 100% certainty as to whether it was supernatural or not. Yep, they don't ever say, I don't think. Okay. I mean, they do find the speaker or whatever, but right. still, I don't think it's meant to be answered. Okay. Because... I mean, cutting your own eyes out, that's that's a step right there, man. That is. Yeah, that's a commitment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) I I don't I don't quite know. I don't you know, Deacon will later say that he was warned. But he didn't. He ignored the warning. Yeah. Um, So that's I don't know how much we are to take from that, um, except for that. That knowledge right there. I mean, the yeah. upshot is that Gray does not trust Deacon at all anymore and is questioning everything he's told him, basically. Yes. Which you really feel Gray like sad that his new buddy had yeah. lied to him. Yes. Like, because they just betrayed. bonded. They just yeah. bonded. <laughs> and he saved him in the pub and all that. Oh, yep. Betrayal. Uh, we get some Christian background here. Uh, which says that uh, I think it was Melitus was supposed to bring Christianity to the pagans, and his philosophy was better to leave the temple standing and destroy the idols, place altars, and consecrate the grounds with holy water. Uh, Calvini says that on the grounds where they stand, something is older than humanity or Christianity itself, something that the church had banished once, but now it has returned. The um, and he. I believe he talks about they had to drive it out. They were instructed to drive it out or lock it away. Um, 
whatever the the force was, the pagan force that was there before. Uh, which means that the crew is going to perform an ancient exorcism or yes. banishment ceremony. It's not even a Christian ceremony. No. Which is is exorcism currently actually recognized as a Christian ceremony? Or have is that one of those uh, you have I to believe get, it's you have fallen to get, out of fashion. You have yeah. to get like special permission, like from the Vatican or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if they still do it. Do they allow that? I don't know. You don't hear about it anymore anyway. No, but I did watch all the Exorcist movies two weeks ago, so mm. uh in my mind, very fresh. Very and real. they're still doing it, yes. Oh yeah. I have not I think I've only seen one in three. Okay. I mean Are you... there any others I should see? Uh <laughs> the two is like kind of wacky. Way out there. Yeah. Two is way out there. Uh and the Dominion and what was the other one? Dominion and oh, they're the same movie. Yes, Dominion. Oh, and, what I remember it? that when didn't they release it in theaters twice? So with two different cuts or something. Yeah, and they're they're not that different from each other. Yeah, but there was stuff reshot entirely by a different director who who came in yeah. to work on it. One was a uh, Rennie Harlan, wasn't it? Oh yeah. Um, so the other one, I was, I was correct in my assumption, but I thought I was just wrong. I was directed by Paul Schrader. Hmm. That's right. So who has kind of gone on to, um, Ooh, have you been following the Paul Schrader-ness of anything, Dustin? I have, I don't know what you're, no, I don't know what you're referring to. Okay. This new movie, the card counter, The, the card counter, Paul Schrader. There is a Twitter account that just reposts Paul Schrader's Facebook posts because he's an old man who says insane right. no, things you're right. on a no. regular basis. Okay. I have seen some of these tweets. So yeah. Yes. Okay. I have seen some of them. Yeah. It, some of that stuff is wild. Yeah. Yes. I think he's a legitimately disturbed person who might also be a genius. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, apparently, in doing pre work for the card counter, was playing online poker or poker with some people and was too sexist for a poker room and got booted out. <laughs> too sexist for a <laughs> poker room. Yes. That says That's something. really sexist. Yes. That says something. Oh, man. Yeah. He's a fascinating individual, I feel like. Sure. But he always folded when he got pocket queens. <laughs> <laughs> I like Sean. Uh, I like seeing Sean giggle at that, himself. In the, that's a good joke, yes. man. I like this. Dustin, how dare you shake your head at me? No, no. let's move on. So, the final prayer, aka Borderlands. Yes, <laughs> they're doing the ba- they're doing the banishment ceremony as Calavari. Calvino. Oh God, I got the Cal. What? Calvino. I, I, Calvino. I, I wrote, Calvino. I wrote the same as Calavari. Calvino. Calavino. I wrote his name differently every single time um, I wrote his name down because I couldn't remember it. As he's doing the banishment ceremony, Mark says um, with Deacon that he's he clings to science. He's sick of the church, clinging uh, to all these antiquated notions. Um, he brings up that one time there was a cave that's coated in ferric oxide that made it have weird noises. He doesn't think believe in things beyond science. It's not enough to believe in Jesus. He's supposed to believe in magic, too. 
he doesn't even believe in creationism. He kind of spits on the idea that the world was created in six days, and he wants the church to move forward into the modern era of science. And I loved the balance of this movie, that with a lot of times with these possession and exorcism movies and stuff, it's like so leaning into like the church is the good yeah. guy and the church knows what's right and the church is going to save the day. And that's what I really like about this one is that it's really balanced. It's presenting both sides of the case yeah. and it's kind of leaving things up to you, the viewer, to figure out how you feel about things. Sure. Uh, but once again, we get this uh, like secret history of the the pagan rites that have been plowed over and it's kind of the same thing from the first movie of like there's this hidden power that the church has kept mum about this whole time and yeah. it was really a lot of this especially the the alternative name of the borderlands um i've been recently listening to a history of halloween and Ooh. They do a lot of talking about how the idea of Halloween is the liminal space between things. And that's when uh, the other spirits can creep through from the other realms. Right. And so the term the borderlands like just brings that to mind so starkly. Josh, I think one thing we forget to do often is talk about the titles of movies. Yes. I'm really glad that you brought that up because I do just like. Borderlands makes complete sense because it's just uh, you're, you're on the precipice between two different worlds in this movie and that's what this church is yep uh we also don't ever discuss poster art really um i think this poster art sucks for the movie i agree <laughs> really i do agree yeah. yes i get with the, i get the idea the, they're going for but i don't think it works no with all the cubes yeah making uh I kind of dig it. <laughs> I mean, it... I, I dig it because I'm so sick of posters just being characters' faces that if you're doing something different and unique, I'll probably be into it just because I'm the, the, the lazy Photoshop era of posters really has me Come on. bummed out. Look at this here. Woo. All right. Now that Come Prince on. of Darkness poster that you're holding up, that's a poster. That's, that's the Blu-ray. I believe this is the Screen Factory Blu-ray. Oh, uh, that's beautiful. It's like a green swirling on. spiral as Loomis yeah. is holding a cross up against the beautiful the canister. Yeah. I mean, there's if you're going to compare the two, there's a clear winner. Yes. Well, yeah, but I mean, have you ever I'll, I'll, I'll this is always when I think of bad posters, my brain immediately goes back to the curious case of Benjamin Button mm -hmm. where it's just half of Brad Pitt's face and half of what's her face? Kate Blanchett. Yes, I was going to say Kate Winslet. And it's just their dumb faces. And that's <laughs> it. And, I, like, and they both just have like an, an empty look of no emotion on their face. Yeah. It's like, you have a movie about a man that grows backwards in time, and you just show me 40-year-old Brad Pitt's face? Come on. Uh, I think part of my problem is the Borderlands poster reminds me so much of the Cabin in the Woods poster. Dead yes, on. 100%. They, very much you are spot on with yeah. that. Yeah. It couldn't be more different from each other. And it's uh I feel like this movie every every aspect of this movie missells this movie <laughs> what the actual thing you get is. Yeah. Unfortunately. Okay, I will say that the way it, if I really think about the poster, the way it's all like blocky, 
it makes you think that the church itself is like more of a labyrinth or something yeah. um which is not the case i no. think had they had but i like that they didn't advertise like something underneath the church what if it was just the church itself like a, a beautiful stylized image of that church with maybe like just a darkness beneath it mm. would that be better worse mm, than the I cubed like the mm. cubed off uh weird minecraft church <laughs> <laughs> it is a minecraft church <laughs> sorry uh, father calvino what it says his name now? calvino uh, it's calvino it's completely gone okay calvino is finishing the um, the ritual to close the gate or whatever all the lights start to explode and this is where shit starts to get really crazy in this movie um we're getting flashes of images with a lot of camera artifacting we see Calvino, his eyes are bleeding. Mark's ears are bleeding and passed out. Gray wakes up with Deacon. Mark seems to be passed out. Calvino is gone. And that's uh, Deacon runs to the hidden stairwell and goes into the caverns underneath. Gray follows him because he's terrified and has no one, nowhere left to go. <laughs> yeah. um, well, Gray goes for the door first. Oh yeah, and the doors. Gray is locked into the church, and Greg tries to say, "I'm not a part of this." Yeah, and I thought that moment was really true. Of like, Gray's just kind of a third party. He doesn't. He hasn't really claimed a stake. In fact, Gray's shown far more respect for this pagan deity by acknowledging that its existence. Um, but in some way, he yeah. should have been the most prepared. Yeah, because of that. Yeah. Oh, during this also. Um, they can hear a voice uh, yell, get out, I think, during that whole uh, seance sequence. Yeah, or the voice yells, get away, get away. When they go into the caverns, Gray has these, like, signal beacons that they can follow back. Ha 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 ha. And then they find Calvino's ceremonial cross covered in blood on the ground. And at this point, we barely can see anything. Everything is like the video is clipping and artifacting and glitching all over the place. And it's like, it's horrifying and impressionistic. And Sean, it made me think of last week uh, when we talked to George about that scene in Harlan County where it's actual documentary footage of shootings that are happening and you can't see anything. Everything is chaotic. I'm like, this ex exactly works because it builds that same exact type of energy that that real world example made me feel. Yeah, it, it hides it well. And, you know, it, it's a way to get around things with budget and a way to get the audience to use their imagination without it being too cheap. So that's one thing that like the found footage genre gives you as a director is it gives you an excuse not to film things sometimes. Yes. Which can be more powerful. Um, the men cr stumble across these tiny primitive cages, which are heartbreaking yeah. and so upsetting. And there's words scrawled on the wall above them by the old priest, apparently, that says something to the effect of, please save them, I have a new master now. Yeah, there's a blood altar near this room. Uh, yeah. In the next room, 
before we get to the very end, I'd like to talk actually about Bray's performance in this because he's a blubbering mess in a way that I I don't think men are portrayed very often in horror movies. And so it's like, it's not a great look for him at all. And he's <laughs> whining and he's crying, but it it feels real. Mm-hmm. Like it, uh, his panic comes feels... across pretty authentic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think his performance here is really strong in its weakness. Yep. It reminded me of the, the final act of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, basically, where she is just reduced to screaming and blubbering. Just running. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It's exactly it. And yeah. I was like, what? I, I mean, I don't even know how, what the script looks like on the page for this, because what do you write? The men stumble through the darkness and scream a bunch. Like yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's a funny idea. Yeah. What does yeah. it say? I want to know. <laughs> I would be, I really want to read this script. That'd yeah. be interesting. Uh, uh, in the next chamber, they find the bones of a bunch of babies. And we now understand the purpose of the orphanage was essentially to be a sacrificial factory of children to be given to this deity this power this primeval force whatever whatever it is uh they see mark down here which earlier this part threw me because earlier when gray leaves from the church to go down do we see that mark has moved because mark before that was out cold yeah mark uh his Gray says that when he came back from the door, his body was missing. So, okay. But he would have had to somehow get in front of both men, but Deacon was already over there, like, yeah, on the it, path. So it, it felt like that, like, these men might have already been dead somehow. And this was like, it feels like a trick of this the, was, yes. this was in the afterlife. Yeah. Like, their spirits, the, Calvino and Mark were already dead yeah. as yeah. these two men are chasing them further and further down. Oh, totally. And the the caves that they go through, they go from like um built stone catacombs to more rough-hewn walls Oof. and when they find the the room with all the skeletons, it's super primitive looking and has like uh cave painting type looking uh scriptures on the wall basically. Of following the location, location. Tighter and tighter. Yeah. Yes. Did did uh either of you note the location this was shot at in the credits? Because this was this is all um like a catacomb system or something in in England, I believe. Um but just what a cool use of a a pre existing like historical monument. Sure. Oh cool. That's very cool. And again, that's like so the set design is minimal, what you have to do with it. And then, you know, just budgetary. It, it's genius. It and is. The, yes. fact, the fact that they got permission to shoot is like, that's so cool. Whoever also, set that up for them. Imagine being an actor being told, you're going to have to go down there and really do this. Well, yeah, I know. But that's then I terrifying. wonder, like, are parts where the actors, where it's like the really tight holes that people have to squeeze their way through, were those built on sets? So it's like maybe ha- like two thirds shot on location, one third shot on set. Um, I don't know. I again, I'd be really curious to learn more. It's about really this. hard to say. Yeah, it's really hard to tell by looking at it. The thinking of like how the descent, how they shot, like the 
the tight sequence um, when they're going into the bigger chamber and they're in the super tiny area. Like, there's a cutaway of the side that you're seeing, like, and you can picture, you can extrapolate how that's a set and how yeah. the whole thing worked. Here, you never see any outside. The man, you only see him, and he's fully encased in a tube that is only as big as his shoulder. It's yeah. only that wide, and seem, doesn't seem to be very tall at all. No. So, we're heading to the end of this horrifying nightmare of an ending of a movie. Uh, at, they have been pursuing Mark, but then uh, Deacon hears Calvino, and it's really sad because Calvino calls out for him like he's calling out for his son. It's like he's calling out for his pupil, mm-hmm. and yep. um, and he hears him, and it's down another crawl space. So Deacon goes in first, Gray after him, hands on the knees, and they start crawling in, and things immediately look. A little different because we haven't seen anything circular yet and now instead of being in rough rocks or in chiseled out passages they're in a circular tube and it's kind of red purple with mm-hmm. some dirt and it doesn't look right um this is where i wrote down uh, they start doing worm shit and sean <laughs> does not like people doing worm shit people should stay <laughs> above the ground as far as sean is concerned <laughs> that's true that's my stance well, this as whole, well. This whole ending is like a nightmare scenario for me. Uh, if I were gray, I would definitely just stay up in the church. I'm just like, yes. I, I can deal with a, a, a church ghost. I can't deal <laughs> with a worm ghost. Yes. And it just, I mean, I like seeing that Deacon is taking charge here once again. We get this idea that he is atoning for whatever previous wrong he did in Bellum for whatever he did not uh, heed the warnings of, he's trying his hardest to make it right in this instance. And it literally just leads the men further and closer to their doom. Yep. So the shot where Deacon, it shows Deacon's point of view and you see the passage close in front of them, like a sphincter closing mm-hmm. and he, too tight you gotta go back when grace says the way's blocked back here too the first time i watched this movie i was like i freaked out i like complete goosebumps of dread yeah it makes and you that's feel like, when i watch horror if i feel dread then i know you've tapped into something like primeval and reptilian and that's like the first time i watched the ending of this movie i i was fully fully tapped into that existential dread it is i loved it yes it's it's horrifying how this movie ends it just gets worse and worse as the walls start leaking uh i guess digestive acid (laughs) onto the men and it starts eating their skin and once again super goopy super gross their hands are like they can't touch anything now. Everything is burning. Oh my god, it's horrifying. Gray yells, "You said it wasn't real." And Deacon apologizes. Uh-huh. Like that moment right there. Oh, oh, and it just—it's we get. To, there's a shot of them screaming, and then it's a hard cut to black, and you think the movie's over for an extra beat and then it comes back and there's another shot of them screaming 
and melting their faces and you think it's over. And then there's one final one and you just hear Grace screaming as Deacon begins to recite the Lord's Prayer. And then the final cut to black. And I love when a horror movie hard cuts to black to end. It mm-hmm. just leaves me when it works, strung out it on that feeling. Woo! That, that gives me goosebumps just thinking about it right now. Both of these movies, I, I feel like that ending punch on both of them, the cut, the hard cut to black on both of them is superb. I think uh, one thing you said about Prince of Darkness was you, you kind of called it a shotgun blast. I think if Prince of Darkness is a shotgun blast, Final Prayer is a sniper rifle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a wow. That's wonderfully put because yeah this movie and like i said if you, the more you pay attention to it the more payoff you're going to get in the final 10 minutes and i love that it doesn't it doesn't um telegraph this ending there's not too much foreshadowing it's not too obvious yes i, I don't think at all that this is where this is going this is yeah. like Maybe you think there's going to be like some ghosts or something downstairs. I don't know, but not this. No, I was not expecting this. I was not ready for this. And I be... think probably like a downer ending like that is, is probably something that didn't help the movie with with audiences probably. But for me, it's the only way to end this movie. It would not be the same film without it. No, it just ends on that punch. Yeah, and then that song at the end. As I was walking down by the royal arsenal, really beautiful and haunting. It's a woman's solo singing. Um, sounds like some kind of traditional folk song. That's, I was going to ask if you knew what it was. Tone, man. Um, no, I don't know what it was. Mark, or excuse me, Gray was singing that song earlier in the movie when he was yeah. lighting a rolling a cigarette. Um, I thought that you would have, would love that song though, right at the end. I did. I I I think the director did a really good job of preserving that moment and not not ruining it with a vanity song or whatever. I remember why you'd get out of the Saw movies or like in the mid 2000s, this happened so often, Freddy versus Jason or whatever, like movies over and you get like this really cool vibe like, oh (laughs) shit. And then right after that, it's just like, it's like just like the shittiest new metal. It's like, no, dude, like that vibe that I just had is gone. I think the credits for Saw have like Fear Factory. Oh yeah, yeah or um, Mudvayne. I think one year, um, yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I I see what you're saying. Yeah, the decision to do that type of music at the end after that that ending, I think is totally the correct decision. It's like so many of those movies. I feel like took the wrong lesson from the movie Seven, um, with its uh, credits. You know where they where it launches into the Hard Rock and the Matrix, where it launches What's into Rage Against the Machine. Yes. I remember Rage Against... What's Seven's credit song? Um, is it Heart's Filthy Lesson, I think? Uh, uh, I David Bowie? I don't remember the moment. I don't remember exactly, no. But probably. But it's one of those where if you have someone who's really masterful doing that kind of thing, like, it fucks you up because of what you just saw. Yeah. 
But I feel like so much of the time it just takes you out of the moment. Yeah, exactly right. The Matrix is probably the biggest needle drop end shot I think I've ever seen. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if I could think of another movie that ends on a song moment that big. But I loved it. I loved it. It, it, it was like a the reward. Matri- in the, the Matrix, it works because yeah. that's like the movie's like, fuck the system, rage yeah. against the machine, yep. kind of like it totally worked. Yep. Well, gentlemen, my God. It's been a journey. Literally, literally, literally my God. <laughs> what, what a day. What a discussion. Dustin, that was awesome. Thank you so much, man. Thanks I for having really, me. Really, thank oh, you for coming. Before we get into the plugs, can we rate this movie? The thing we always forget to do. <laughs> I, I was going to do it. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Uh, Josh, you start us off, please. Uh. Like I said, I've seen this movie twice now. Um, It gets four stars because I think it is, like Dustin said, it's a sniper bullet. It is, or maybe it's a blade so sharp that you don't know you've been cut until you're dead. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, you're already down there. They should put that on the Blu-ray box cover. It literally is like it sneaks up on you, the totality of it, but so much of it adds into it like you said without doing too much foreshadowing and like this is going to be important later type of moments i feel like that early on little shot of the gravestone with his name on it that literally is a blink and you'll miss it yeah there are there are movies that you can literally put your you know play with your phone the whole time and you get most of the movie still (laughs) because it's just like big and dumb and in your face yeah and this movie feels so much sharper than that so much kind of wittier and more uh finely tuned than that well said dustin what do you think of this i think this movie is top of the genre legitimately in the top 10 maybe top five found footage ever uh it's up i think it's up there with wreck and the first paranormal activity um have you seen deborah logan that's a pretty good one Mm -hmm. deborah Uh, logan's good yeah yeah, i think it's i mean as far as found footage goes there's not many that are better so i will also give it a four another four from me but within the genre i think it gets a five but just depends on how you want to how you want to break it down but yeah in general it's a four for me well then make it a gentleman's 12 because i'm also giving (laughs) it a gentleman's 12 um and yeah it's like you know, a rough spot here or there with some acting or whatever, but for being the budget that this was, for being a director who's never directed again and actors who have never acted again, what I, I don't know how the hell they pulled this one off, but the fact that they did, uh, so much respect for them. Love this movie. It's different. It's unique. And now, I think similarly, like, Prince of Darkness now, I think, will really sit in its own place in my head when I think of, like, it's like a theological mathematics movie or something with, like, John Carpenter horror. Well, that's, like, the same thing with now with The Borderlands, is this movie, it's like, I don't like religious horror that often, because, like I said before, the ideas of, like, the, the Christian church coming in to save the day bug me. But this is my kind of religious horror, because this is more questions than answers and i think that's if you give more answers than questions when you're talking about religion you're probably talking out of your ass so this movie 
it just presents so much and then you know the fact that we were able to talk about it for like an hour and a half two hours when <laughs> yeah. we were here you know we talked about it longer than the actual runtime is and that says a lot about it so um four out of five and like i totally agree this is top tier found footage it does make me want to go back uh and rewatch that second blair witch sequel though i've never the newer seen one it. yes the 2016 I remember being a little oh, cold when I, I left the theater, but I could rewatch it and maybe I'll feel differently. I think yeah. you're talking Book of Shadows. I'm sorry. No. I did watch. I saw the remake in theater and uh-huh. liked it. And I don't think it held up as well for me at home, but there is some good stuff in there. Okay. Yeah. That's when they were sorting the gear and stuff towards the beginning. It gave me that same like, oh, yeah, we kind of have the same scene in that movie. Um, but I was a little cool on it, but it it makes me want more of this same thing. Yeah. But I don't want anything else in this world because I, this is totally a contained story. It doesn't need anything else. This is, this one's great and finished. Yeah. Yeah. Dustin, tell the people where they can find you. Tell them about your podcast. All right. Your music. I'm on Twitter. It's at D K R E F F T. I don't do a lot of tweeting, but I'm there. You can find out when I'm doing things. Um, I have an album coming out maybe in the next month, I think. Uh, it's just it's an EP uh, sort of based around Salem's Lot, something I'm, oh, cool. I'm in love with. So um, it's sort of my interpretation of like some of the just the the feelings of it. I don't, it's hard to explain. You'll hear it. Um, uh, I have a podcast. It's called Nerds, Geeks in the Kitchen Sink. We cover, you know, the Marvel movies, comic books. We do lots of horror as well. Um, you guys have been on. It was a great time. Uh, we cover just movies in general, just just like week by week. We well, we're bi-weekly, but um, you know the the new thing, whatever's the new nerdy thing, you know. So the new Marvel movie, the new DC movie, the new whatever, the new video game. We're on there, so pretty pretty laid back, uh, pretty pretty uh, just easy to listen to type thing. It's a delightful show, man. Thank I you, love it. thank you. Even if much. I haven't seen the movies, I'll listen to you guys covering Marvel because I love hearing how much passion you have for these when things. When Chris gets mad, because it's like, oh, Chris no, gets so <laughs> mad. Yeah. But I, I love it because it just shows how much you guys care about this stuff. Sure. And that you're still willing after now 15 years of Marvel MCU, you guys are still this into it and still yeah. breaking this shit down exactly. with that much passion and care. Yeah. It's just really cool. And then, you know, I love when you guys talk video games or you know it's always the best when i've seen the movie that you guys are talking about yeah that helps. Um, but i highly recommend it. it's nerds geeks and the kitchen sink it's Wherever a great hangout show seen. it's a hangout show yeah and josh and i had a great time on that episode that was like that was actually the first thing that was ever published that had us because we had published when we recorded yes that. i remember yep. you guys weren't out yet we were we were still babies to the yeah. podcast <laughs> game now now we're masters so experts. cool well, thanks again for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. I had a great time. I love these movies. This has been great. It has. It really, really has. I'm I'm so glad we're starting off our spooky month with two bangers. I mean, that's kind of our thing of doing a show every week this month, stepping up our game. Yep. And this one is, I feel, a great way to start that out. Uh, yeah, so today, being October 5th, we just watched Final Prayer and Prince of Darkness. Next week, we are going to have special guest on to talk about The Fog and Dead Man's Shoes. Shoutouts to Umar. I don't yes. know if I'm allowed to spoil that, but oh shoutouts. 
Love that guy. Yeah, you spoiled it. Right, it's fine. Uh, and, you can cut uh, that out. Next... You're in charge here. Uh, I don't know how to edit. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I just... that's the real reason all the tangents just... are left in. <laughs> it's artistic this, integrity this really would be a 90 minute podcast if i knew what i was doing <laughs> um on the 19th we're watching bone tomahawk and the descent oh my god I'm so excited about the that tent. one and the 26th we're watching um candy man and the mothman prophecies mothman screwed me up as a kid well, I guess I wasn't yeah, a kid, I but I was a young it. man. It creeped me I out. I haven't seen it since I was a teenager. Uh, I'm really excited to watch that one again. Oh, and we're watching. Uh, we're watching old. We're watching old Candyman. Yeah, OG, not new, not new Candyman. So, if you want to check out those movies, that is a good start for you. We're really excited to have Spooky Month here in October. Josh, you got anything else? Where can the people find you? Uh, I'm at Spartacus on Twitter. I'm at Josh.Ickes, I-C-K-E-S, on Instagram. Um, you can follow the show, Nashville CA, on both those platforms. We have Twitter? We do have a Twitter. <laughs> That's surprise. exciting. Hey! Cool. Uh, yeah, you can find me on this show. If you want to talk to me, uh, be a guest, and then you can talk to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> But that'll do it for another week. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you listeners have a great week. I hope you have a great fall as we get into the spooky season. I cannot wait to put the pumpkins out, to hang the spiders, to get the skulls on the lawn. Let's fucking go Halloween. Take care of yourselves. Take care of your neighbors. We love you. See you next time. Bye. Peace.